This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. All right, we're back a month later, but uh, <laughs> we're we're here and uh, no Pat, no Jay. Uh, they had some other plans, a bit too close to uh, to Thanksgiving for the two of them tonight. But I got Stephen joining the show again. How's it going, Stephen? Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, man, no problem. I uh, more than happy to be here. I had to scarf down my Wendy's real quick to get on it. <laughs> you see, I seem seem a bit tired. It's all it's all good. <laughs> yeah, the eye is kicking in already. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> the Wendy's coma is kicking in. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, we got we got kind of a ton of news because uh we haven't done a show in in almost over a month uh since free agency since before free agency we covered i think the last thing we covered was the draft um so we did kind of talk a bit about perot and drysdale and uh because of the uh the length between podcasts we have some more updates on them uh after this but i guess the the first thing we should kind of at least briefly mention because uh, it did happen uh even though it was so long ago was uh the ducks brought back Derek grant Finally signed Kevin Shattenkirk. The first one, I mean, it, it was kind of, I don't want to say it was to be expected, but you kind of felt like if Derek Grant didn't go back to Philadelphia, the team at the top of his wish list was probably Anaheim. Yeah, I, I imagine, you know, pretty quickly they kind of, Bob Murray and whoever Grant's agent was, got in, talk, got in touch with each other. And he was like, look, this is what I'll give you. Uh, if you want to go out and see if there's a situation you want to be in or a deal you like better, I totally understand, but we're more than happy to have you here and I'm willing to give you years so you don't have to worry about getting flipped at the deadline again. So, you know, I mean, it happened pretty quick, but, you know, we know those guys all talk uh, well before they're supposed to or whatever. So, you know, I wouldn't, it really wouldn't surprise me if that's the way that went down because I think there are a couple of teams that might have been willing to take a look at him in a depth role. And, you know, he just figured he'd come back to Anaheim. I wonder what the 
like the thought processes of other teams checking in at Derek Grant because you know the the sample size from other teams is is relatively small, but the production isn't there. Then with Anaheim, that's where he does his best work, and you know it's not exceptional. It is is kind of an average to above average bottom six forward. But does another team, like if you're Philadelphia going back in, then he was pretty good for them when he went over there. If you're another team kind of in the market for that type of player, do you second guess looking at Derek Grant wondering, is Anaheim the only place he can get it done? Because there are players like that in hockey and in other sports where for some reason in that specific team, they can get it done. And anywhere else, it just doesn't work. And they always seem to kind of go back to that team where it works because the team likes having him around and he likes playing there and and the production just kind of comes when he's in a Ducks uniform. Yeah, I mean, look, I I know we want to be smart and advanced stats and analytical and things like that with our thinking, but I think when you, you get to a certain level of player, you have to just look at real traditional stats. You know, uh, in seven games for Philly, Derek Grant had a goal, four assists, plus two, two penalty minutes, and he played 14 minutes a night, and he won over uh, 53% of his face-offs. Like, yeah, that's fine. That's that's what you want that guy to do. He's going to go sit on the bottom six, or the, the bottom line, and he's going to kill penalties. He can play the wing. He can play center. Uh, you know, because of the kind of career he's had, I don't think you have to worry about him being upset if he gets cut one night or whatever. Um, I just... You know, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I think if you're a team, what you're looking at is, you know, you probably have your film guys saying what worked in Anaheim that wasn't working elsewhere. And I, I do wonder, you know, if the the reason he's able to find success in Anaheim is just the roster's just kind of void of anybody in any real go-to role. Yeah. You know, I mean, when he's being, being given power play time, right? Like. I, exactly. I don't think I don't think well I mean he was on Philly's power play for a bit so I don't want to say I don't think any other team is going to give him power play time but it's it speaks to the Ducks situation and maybe why a player who who is a bottom six fourth line player would maybe thrive better with the Ducks than let's say the Penguins when Derek Grant was with the Penguins he was a guy who played seven eight minutes a night for Pittsburgh you know kind of got the shit minutes because they have two or three solid forward lines. Meanwhile, the Ducks, they, they really don't. Derek Grant was kind of utilized mainly as a fourth-line forward, but he would jump in and out of the lineup when guys were injured, and hence you know the elite number one C tagline that he's kind of been given now because he's been so versatile for the Ducks, and obviously, like we mentioned before, power play time. It, it makes sense why he does well here because he's given those opportunities. I mean, if you put Derek Grant... On, on the Ducks, you know, five or six years ago when they were making late playoff pushes, I don't think the production is exactly the same because I think his role would be, you know, similar to a regular fourth-line role on a competitive hockey team. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's, I think that's right. And I think, you know, with a guy like Derek Grant, he just, he is what he is. He's a, he's a finished product. He's a known quantity. You know, I think, you know, when it comes to younger guys, a lot of the time, some of the the reason coaches can kind of outthink themselves or overthink things is you don't know what you're going to get. They're not finished products. You know, they have so much room to learn and to grow and to get better or, you know, make mistakes. Derek Grant, 
is always going to play conservatively. You know, he's never going to take a chance because he's, what is he, like 29? Yeah. 30? Like, he knows, you know, any shift that he goes out and if he fucking sucks ass, there's no guarantee he's getting another one. It doesn't cost anybody any money to send him down, so... Yeah, exactly, and he knows his role, and I think I think it's a fit. the 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 obvious interesting one in, in the big, uh, the big headline of, of free agency for the Ducks was finally being able to land Kevin Shattenkirk a year after they were, I guess, at least publicly quote uh, courting him. Right when he decided to go to Tampa Bay, which was clearly a good decision for him, he walked away a Stanley Cup champion. So, you know, kudos to him for making the right decision at that time, and then he cashes in on uh you know a three-year 3.9 million dollar contract with the ducks and, and honestly it, it is a lot you know maybe the extra year there the third year is is a bit more than you'd like but i think for the type of players you're getting it is a type of player that anaheim has needed for a long time they thought they had it with brandon montour they thought they had it and kind of had it with sammy Votnin. but now you're getting that guy who's going to quarterback your power play who, who's going to be the the main point producer on the blue line and and you know, in turn, that potentially frees up guys like Cam Fowler and Hampus Lindholm to kind of focus on what makes their game so good and what what makes them valuable to the Ducks uh, on a two-way defensive side of the game when Shattenkirk can kind of shoulder that load offensively. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think think when the Rangers are paying you money not to be on the Rangers, (laughs) uh, you can afford to kind of try some stuff out, you know, and now, you know, he's got the ring, like you said, he won with uh, Tampa Bay. And so he's got that part of it done. So now he can really try to focus on, you know, just kind of trying to fulfill something a little bit more personal as far as what he wants to be, where he wants to go. So much of that pressure is taken off of him uh, from, you know, personal, what you want to achieve kind of things. So I, I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, Anybody who's not on the team right now uh, could improve or wasn't on the team last year could improve the power play. Uh, so I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about it. He's a right-handed shot, which is really nice, specifically for the power play. Um, you know, he's a little older and, you know, three years and all that. You know, it's fine. I don't it, – the money in the term doesn't really bother me. Um, I, I think – the thing for me is he did genuinely seem excited to come to the team. And that's to me a positive Yeah, because he's got to have an idea of what he's in for as much as him and Bob Murray want to say, ah, we think we can be better or whatever. Like he seems, he's got to know what he's walking into. And if he does, and he's still fine being here, then that makes me happy. He's no Hunter Drew, right? Four goals the other <laughs> night. <laughs> Look, how many of us can say that we're honestly Hunter Drew? That guy, I, I I would dive into an hour podcast about Hunter Drew just because his game is is unreal, and I still can't believe he put up four goals uh, in in any league. I don't care where he's playing. I don't care if he's playing against kids. I'm surprised he put up four, <laughs> surprised he put up four goals. Uh, and I still think, by the way, he's leading that team in penalty minutes and and managed to put up four goals. So, uh, him, Drysdale, and Kevin Shatker could be the future right-handed offensive defenseman for the Ducks. Oh. <laughs> Still, my heart. Oh At my goodness! In, in I, the final year, maybe of of Shaq Cook's contract, dude, he's just—it's so stupid. But like, I just love like, I just like guys who are jerks. Like, I just 
he's just a jerk. And he's just, you know, he's never going to be your best player or whatever. He's not a first pairing guy. But he's just like, oh, yeah, we have this guy on our third pair who, like, doesn't seem to have a problem punching people in the face. Uh, and we appreciate that. It's like, yeah, I <laughs> I like cross checks. They're very fun for me. So, you know, having a guy like Hunter Drew in the system is always just going to make me a little happy just to know that he's there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you can never not use a guy like that. Like, he's if he can play solid defense at the NHL level, I think he'll see games for the Ducks. Like I, I yeah, absolutely. and and like it's nice to see his offensive game rounding out. I mean, this is probably an outlier. Like I don't expect him to score two, three, four goals a night that many times throughout his career. I mean, this could be the only time that that he ever reaches yeah. that mark. But it is nice to see him kind of developing and and kind of moving past what we saw when he was playing in junior, where he was that guy. He was the guy that just beat people up. He got suspended a few times. Uh, led the the QMJHL in penalty minutes, I think, for for a couple seasons. So, uh, I mean, hey, like the 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 Ducks had a focus going into this draft. Uh, Drysdale was kind of the, the pinnacle of that, but right shot defenseman were few and far between before they went into the draft, and they came out of it with I think four. It was Timo Nickel, like Ian Moore, uh, Jamie Drysdale, and I believe there's another. It might have been just those three, but there was clearly a focus there, and. You look at one the the two top picks from that draft with Jacob Perot and Jamie Drysdale both signed to their ELCs. We'll we'll focus on Drysdale because we were just kind of chatting about him a bit. Um, what what do you think his kind of projected timeline is for the Ducks? I mean, obviously he was at World Junior Camp for Canada, was projected to go back to the OHL this year. Um, you know, he's got a little bit more to work on, but you think he's he's ready sooner rather than later? So this is going to be kind of <clears throat> this is going to be kind of a cop out answer, but I feel like you know it kind of there, there's it, there's kind of two two main factors that are going to go into it, which is how ready is he and how much does the team need him? Right? There's a thing. There's a point where the team needs him and he's not ready, and he comes up anyways. There is he's ready and the team doesn't need him and he stays down. And then there are the other two where he's, you know, he is ready and he comes up and he looks good. You know, I don't I don't know. Um, you know, he seems to be a skill game and he's what did he just turn 18, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. he's got a decent shot to put a little bit of weight on. And, you know, if he can put on 10 or 15 pounds by next season, I think he's got a chance to make it out of camp and at least get to that that 10 game mark. But, uh, you know, it, it, I wouldn't expect him until, I guess, what would be the start of the third season from now. Yeah. But if it was on the team next year or, I guess, the end of this year, it wouldn't surprise me. Because there's nothing about his game that is going to require him... Uh, you know, it's just going to be about how well he can handle the physicality. Yeah. You know, he's not a big guy, but he skates well and he has all the puck skills, obviously. That's why they drafted him. So if they think that they can bring him up and put him in a place where, you know, he's playing second power play minutes and, you know, a little bit less at five on five and they're just kind of sheltering him and allowing him to learn the game, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's up, you know, plays the last 10 games of the season. Part of me would think in normal circumstances without a pandemic affecting the season – 
that this season Drysdale would have been currently playing in the OHL with Erie, would have spent the whole season there, went through playoffs, and then similar to what Max Jones did is come over for the Gulls playoff run, play a few games there, get some you know professional playoff hockey under your belt, and then head into the 2021-22 season and maybe get that nine-game look at the NHL level before you burn a year off through ELC, see if he's ready, even if he even if he looks good. Just get him that experience, get him those nine games, send him back for his final year of eligibility in the OHL, and then ease him in to either the AHL or the NHL for 2022-2023. And part of me wants to believe that Shattenkirk was brought in strictly because they're, they've learned their lesson from players like Cam Fowler, bringing him up too early and you know wanting to nurture him a little bit and, and, and spend the right amount of time in the OHL and then make that move to the AHL and, and, and kind of do things the right way. I don't know if that's what they were thinking in bringing in Kevin Shattenkirk. You know, it's probably a two-sided sword there. Obviously, they needed a player of Shattenkirk's, you know, style and, and quality to come into the roster now. But it also eases the pressure on management and Drysdale to say, hey, we don't have to put this guy in right now. Like, we can, we have a guy who, what we would hope Drysdale could be at the very, I guess at the lowest level, is a player like Kevin Shattenkirk. And we can have him for the next three years and kind of ease Drysdale into the lineup. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think if it was just Shattenkirk, I would I would be more skeptical of that. But I think ex- signing Cody Curran, extending Juice, Larson, and Gooley kind of leads to that. Because all four of those guys are lefties, but pretty much all of them can play the right-hand side. You know, they played Larson on the left a lot last year, on the right-hand side a lot last year. You know, I know Curran prefers it, and Juice uh, has played there as well. So I think, you know, that fact that they they don't have to force him to come up to get guys who are comfortable playing that side of the ice, I think you're you're right in that fact, right? Because now what you've got is four guys who you can look at and go, that's our top four. You know, we've got three or four guys that we can let kind of find their footing and work and really fight for those last two or three spots on the roster and go from there and, you know, maybe do it a little situationally, uh, depending on what you think of different games. Uh, I am for any combination of players that doesn't have Jacob Larson on the team. <laughs> I'm, I'm on that boat too. Um, I mean, but they've got options, right? Like that's the thing you mentioned a bunch of yeah. guys like, like Brendan Gooley should get some more NHL time this year. I think Josh Maher deserves it. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. Cody Curran, uh, you know, amazing story. The way he's kind of fought his way to the NHL, he's going to be hungry to stick around and and show that he belongs there. So they've and then obviously, you know, Larson is going to be in and out of the lineup. You know, as much as a lot of us don't like what he brings to the Ducks lineup. He's gonna be there. He's gonna play games. He's gonna switch out with and then obviously Juice too. Like there's five, maybe six guys who could really because mm-hmm. Andy Walensky was brought back as well, and I think he's probably at the bottom of that list. But he's yeah. the only right hand shot on that list. You know, yes, a lot of these left handed shot guys have played on the right side, and Cody Curd has favored that for his entire career. But there, there is something to the fact that Andy Walensky is the right hand shot defenseman. And if Shattenkirk goes down with injury, if Josh Manson goes down with injury, 
he might leapfrog those guys just to kind of even that out a bit. Now, obviously, like I said, he is kind of firmly at the bottom of that list in terms of a, a pecking order, but I think he has to be in that discussion just for the fact that he is a right-handed shot defenseman. Yeah, I. so I want to say two things real quick. One is, and I, and I swear to God this isn't a bit, <laughs> to bring it back to Hunter Drew, I think that what you're talking about right now is why a guy like him will always have a place in the organization because that's kind of what happened with Manson that first year that he came up. He, um, you know, he came up and he kind of, and then they kind of realized like, oh, he can do this. And he plays a style of hockey that Bob Murray loves. So he was able to, you know, tread water, look complete, look, not look like he was completely out of place. And he was going to catch his eye naturally by the style he plays. And I think the same thing as Hunter Drew, you know, you have that guy that you go, you know, I don't necessarily want to bring up another skill guy to play that right hand side. You bring up someone with a little bit more of an edge, you know, I mean, Ducks fans, you know, Brian Allen, uh, was it, uh, Clayton Stoner, Kevin uh, Mark Fistrin, Kevin Bieksa, uh, Sheldon Sorey. Like you can go through the list of guys that were specifically brought in because they will cross check you. Uh, that's always going to be a thing. And then I think the other thing that was really interesting is you mentioned Max Jones. And I think Max Jones and Jamie Dreesdale are kind of perfect ways to compare because they're kind of exact opposites. Jamie Dreesdale, everything above the head, the shoulders, is fine. He he can think the game. He can read the game. He has all the puck skills that he needs. What it's going to be about is him getting to a point where he is uh, physically able to play with grown men. Max Jones was the other way. Everything above the shoulders was the problem. You know, the first time I really ever heard about Max Jones, you know, is he was getting suspended for cross-checking a guy in the teeth, you know. And you watch him play, even back then, you see that he's, he's a man amongst boys. Like, he's one of those guys that filled out very early. He always had a physical advantage, and he was able to use that to his advantage. And he's taken a little bit longer to get to the Ducks in a consistent way because he had to mature. He had to emotionally grow and learn what it was going to take for him to be an NHLer. And so I, I do think it's really interesting that you brought him up because, you know, him and Jamie Dreesdale couldn't be more different in their prospect status when they were drafted. Yeah, yeah, and you know the the Ducks don't have too many players like Max Jones in in terms of you know a physically commanding player who needs to figure mm -hmm. out the you know, the offensive side of things and, and how to adapt his game to the NHL level. The Ducks have been drafting a lot of skilled players who maybe need to fill out. I, I mean, you know, you look at Jacob Perot, I, I think he's not small by any means. He's 5'11". He's a bit more of a stocky 5'11 than, than, some of, you know, than someone like Trevor Zegris is. But they've been going for that, that skilled player pretty much with all their, their top draft picks when they've been looking at forward since Max Jones. I think Sam Colangelo was the only kind of shift from that status quo that they've been having. And I, I think you look at the NHL today versus what it was when the Ducks were kind of at their heyday uh, back in, you know, like I said, five or six years ago where, you know, they were pushing to the, to the Western Conference final. It, they had about seven or eight guys who could do that. 
and were physically commanding, mm-hmm. and they were just a tough, grinding team to play against. Nowadays, you just need a couple of those guys. You look at what Tampa paid to bring in guys like Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow, and the Ducks are, are kind of strategically drafting these certain guys that they think are going to be able to fit in and play those roles at some point down the road. And I think having a player like Max Jones and a player like Sam Colangelo, who clearly they are skilled players, but just adapting that to the NHL level is going to maybe take a little bit longer than, say, somebody like Jamie Drysdale or Jacob Perot or Trevor Zegras, but they'll get it eventually. And you can sprinkle those guys throughout your lineup, and you've got these two physically commanding guys. I think Jones is like 6'2", 220. Sam Colangelo already is 6'2", pushing 200 um, at 18 years old. Like, And then combine that with the offensive skill they have, and once they adapt, those are going to be two valuable pieces of your lineup that surround this skill core that the Ducks are starting to build that obviously begins with Trevor Zegers and Jamie Drysdale. Yeah, you know, the thing I think that's interesting about, uh, you know, like you go back five or six years and you're looking at a team with, you know, guys like Matt Bolesky and Pat Maroon, and they were top six, top nine guys for the Ducks at the time because they were looking for guys. And now those are kind of, you know, the best version of Matt Bolesky. And as we saw two years in a row now with Pat Maroon, like those are perfect fourth line guys. They're going to go out there. They're going to bang bodies. And they also are going to be able to capitalize on uh, mistakes by the other team and put the puck in the back of the net. You know, I think Colangelo is interesting because, you know, he uh, he did really well last year in the USHL as far as producing. He, I, I wonder if he's going to be a guy who competes for, you know, uh, basically competes for the Cy Young, like where I don't know how many people are com- uh, familiar with the idea, but I remember hearing it a year or two ago about the hockey Cy Young where it's basically – uh, you know, a bunch of goals and no assists. You know, I think this year it was like uh, Achiari in Florida. He had like yeah, goals and like two assists. And, you know, and I think Sam Colangelo's got a chance to do that, you know, put him on the second power play unit and just kind of let him sit in the slot and really just rip him home. And he's got the body, so he's going to be able to get to rebounds and uh, keep guys on his back and things like that. So... Uh, you know, but I think you're right. I think what they've been trying to do, and I think in a lot of ways, Sam Steele really started that whole thing when they made the conscious choice to take an undersized mental player in Sam Steele. That was really them being like, we got to bring in guys who can play. We got to stop getting guys who we know can withstand uh, the physical rigors of the game. You know, just they've just missed on a couple of guys. Yeah. I, and so it'll be about, you know, if they can get any of these guys from the last year or two to hit. I, I just don't think they're comfortable taking those big guys early anymore, right? Like, they, they seem to be comfortable taking these bigger guys either in the second round or with a second first-round pick. You know, so Max Jones was one of those players where he was taken when they had two first-round picks. Sam Colangelo right. taken in the second round. round. Maxime Comtois taken... Uh, with the second of two second round picks, like th- these are you know where they're kind of targeting these guys now, probably after failing at number ten and taking Nick Ritchie and, and seeing at what you kind of missed out on and where the game is kind of transitioned to at this point that you know these guys are kind of found later on, and and you kind of need to look past that physical side now and make sure that they do have the skills 
to kind of put it all together at the NHL level because you really can't just be big anymore in the NHL and that's it. Nope. Like you need, you know, Max Jones can skate, and I do think eventually he'll figure it out and and he'll be a decent goal scorer at the NHL level. I mean, you, you talk about Cy Young season. I remember when we talked to Max Jones uh, about a year and a half ago, we talked about his last season in London where he had 18 goals and three assists in 25 games, and he just could not buy an assist. Like, he he is also right. kind of one of those players where, you know, it's, his game's not pretty. You know, he can pull the scale out every now and then, but he's going to be one of those guys who, who kind of gets his goals from, you know, two feet in front of the net. Like, that's... That's where he's going to get his bread and butter, and that, and I think that's where a guy like Sam Colangelo and even Maxim Comtois are going to kind of come in uh, big for the Ducks down the road. When you know, obviously Trevor Zegras is the big name, and Jamie Drysdale is kind of the big name for the Ducks right now, and and you bring in another skilled guy like Jacob Perot, but kind of mixing those bigger bodied players in who do have skill like Comtois, Jones, and Colangelo, you kind of start to look to the future and piece together a roster that should be pretty competitive if all these guys hit their ceiling and, and, and come together well. Yeah, you know, and I think you see it, you know, a couple dozen games a year where something's not clicking and a coach will start mixing lines up. And usually what he ends up doing is moving one guy. Right. You know, sometimes it's swapping centers on different lines, but a lot of the times it's taking a, a winger from the third line and putting him on the first line and taking the first line winger, and putting him on the fourth line and just that kind of little stuff to provide that completely different type of game. You know, and I, I, I really do think Max Jones is a great player in that way that I think he is a top nine player. You know, I think you can look at how the game is going, look at what you need. If he's having a hot game, you can move him up. If he's having a not-so-hot game, you can move him down. But I don't think anything about his game other than the quality of teammates changes based on the line that he's on. Um, you know, he's going to skate in straight lines. He's going to forecheck. He's going to look to make passes. You know, I think he's a better playmaker uh, than he gets some credit for. You know, there's moments where you see creativity uh you know kind of he has it he's got a little bit of that and so you play him with you know a Getzloff or a Zegris or you know even a, a Steele and a Raquel like you got a chance to get lucky one night and get some stuff out of it but he's not a guy that you're looking at at the beginning of the year and going that's 20 goals yep you're like you you look at him and say in a good year used in the right way he could get 20 if everything right. went right but he's still going to impact even if he doesn't hit 20 even if he hits 15 or 10 or whatever and hits 25 points he's still going to contribute away from the puck in a meaningful way because we've seen that from him like he is and and i remember in 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 the first season when he played you know valuable minutes with the ducks like he was the most snake bitten player i've I've seen in a very long time where he just (laughs) he couldn't buy a goal couldn't really buy an assist like he'd make good plays and they wouldn't get finished off and but Outside of the like the offensive side of the game, he was doing some very good things. He was playing physical. He was forechecking hard. Uh, you know, he was he was kind of playing with a bunch of different linemates at that time too, and even last season, and and kind of making it work. Like he's kind of been the guinea pig out of all the prospects. You know, Terry's kind of got that cushy spot beside Getzlaff usually when he comes up. Sam Steele kind of has his regular linemates that he plays with. Max Jones has kind of been just thrown in wherever they need him. He's really done well with a lot of those guys. He hasn't had the same opportunity that Steele 
and Terry have to really gel on a specific pairing? Yeah, I, I, I think for me, Max Jones has the potential to be a more physically imposing Andrew Cogliano. He's going to make good choices. He's going to skate hard every night. You know what you're going to get from him. And he might have a, you know, a game where he's got one goal and three points or something like that. He might not, but you're never going to, I don't think you're ever going to worry about his effort. You're never going to worry about his commitment. And he has shown as he has gotten older that he's smart. Like he can play an NHL game. It's just about whether or not what you're looking at is production or just, uh, you know, just being in the right spot and doing the right things. So, I, I, you know, I think based on size, Lundestrom is the guy that I hope kind of turns into that. But as far as just really just true style of play similarities or expectation similarities, I think Max Jones really has a chance to be uh, an Andrew Cogliano kind of player. Lundestrom always seems to be the, the forgotten guy at, at this point um, be, because he doesn't do anything flashy, but... You know, he doesn't produce at a high level in the AHL. Um, you know, doesn't really pro- hasn't produced at, at a high level uh, in the NHL. But you know, he just does good things with the with and without the puck. And and you know, you can't fault him. I've never really watched him and been like, man, he looked bad tonight. Like he he just, he just looks good. That's the thing, right? Like I think, you know, for me, he's a perfect example of if I didn't notice the rookie, they had a good night. And. You know, there are some guys who, you know, they're so talented that they stand out in an exceptional way. You're like, oh, shit, I can't believe they did that. Like, oh, my God, the guy's only 19. Look what he just did. But there's a lot of guys who stand out in a very negative way. You know, oh, why did they make that decision? Oh, why did they do that? Or, oh, they got caught. Uh, you know, and Lundestrom just, he gets it. You know, he's not he's not making sports center, but uh, he's also you're not going to be pointing at him a lot the next day in film. Like, what the fuck is all of this? Like, that's just not, you know, that's not what he's going to do. And so I, you know, I really do think it's as simple as if I don't see the rookie on the ice, it's great. I'm fine with that. I don't want to need, I don't need to notice everybody. Some guys just need to play. Yeah. Another valuable kind of middle six player in the pipeline for him. I mean, they've got a ton of them, I mean, even, the non-prospects when you look at Danton Heinen and Sonny Milano at some at some point they're going to have a considerable amount of of these types of players to kind of move on or or to you know either trade and, and get some assets that you can get in, you know to fill a hole in your lineup because I mean right now we're already looking at the Ducks lineup for next season saying how are they going to fit all these guys in like how is Maxim Comtois going to get NHL time next year how you know, how are they going to fit in Jones, Terry, Steele, and, and, you know, is Lindstrom going to get some time? How is Trevor Zegers going to fit into the fold? Like, th- this season is one of the more intriguing for me because you've got all these guys on the way. Like, I didn't even mention Benoit Olivier Gru is going to make his professional debut for uh, <laughs> for the San Diego Gulls, right? Like, they have all these types of guys coming up, like very solid two-way forwards, middle six guys, who you, you know, types of players you need on a competitive team. They're, they're missing maybe another highly skilled forward to go with Trevor Zegers, like a, an elite level goal scorer. Maybe Jacob Perot um, turns into that, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, a, a top 10 type talent in, in the draft, but 
man, like there's a, a significant logjam of uh, top level prospects for the Ducks on the way, or at least guys who could fill out that kind of middle six uh, spots in the lineup. Yeah, I think that's that's right. You know, I, I kind of I talked about this on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if it was today or yesterday or whatever, but like the kind of the way I think we need to be thinking about it a lot now is what you used to want your third line to do is what you should expect your fourth line to do. And you should almost have a top line, two second lines and a third line. And I think if that's where you're at, you're in a good spot. And I think, like you said, Anaheim's got a good handful of guys that, you know, obviously none of they're not all going to hit but if enough of them develop to the point that they seem to be headed towards you're going to feel comfortable looking at it and going like yeah man they got the good supporting cast now what they need to do is they need to go out and get some elite talent and you know you can you know maybe that's drysdale and dostal right maybe you have a top 10 goalie and a top 10 defenseman and Trevor Zegers, who's, you know, top 10 center or something like that. Okay. Now you've got something. And now those supporting characters can kind of have a little bit uh, of that weight taken off of their shoulders that way. But you don't want to count on those two guys hitting and Zegers hitting and that being it. So, you know, going out and getting some more high upside uh, picks. You know, I think that's, we talked about this a little bit with the draft this year. At the back end of it, they took a couple of chances on some defensemen with some upside, as opposed to picking safer guys. And I think that's that's a good sign, because that's not something I feel Bob Murray would have been doing three or four years ago. And, and they need to make those types of moves to to try mm-hmm. and, and swing for the fences at, at a guy who, you know, might be exceptional at one thing, but there's some question marks, and, and... You, know, you you need to kind of swing for the fences there because the Ducks don't have a ton of time in comparison to, let's say, the Kings rebuild where it is a burn-it-to-the-ground rebuild almost where they're, they're kind of building from square one. Um, you know, they haven't traded Doughty or Kopitar yet, but, you know, you look at the core they're building, it's around those young players and when they finally make it to the NHL level and about three or four years down the road. For the Ducks, a lot of their core are you know in their late 20s when you look at Raquel and Lindholm and Fowler uh and I know Shattenkirk I don't think it's is really a part of that because he'll be gone in three years anyway but you know John Gibson kind of goes into that fold as well where they don't have five or six years to continue to build these pieces and, and add to it and and kind of be competitive in seven years these guys that are part of the core now aren't going to be contributors at that point in time so it is the point where you kind of got to swing for the fences and and try and hit on a guy who you know a late fourth or fifth round pick who can end up being a a top six forward for you or a top four defenseman because of you know an identifiable skill they have and you hope that you can kind of cultivate and, and develop some of the issues that they have in their game yeah i think uh you know i mean this is something me and you have talked about a number of times like they're fighting against themselves in certain ways. You know, they've kind of got two separate timelines going on. They got a lot of kids with some potential that, you know, in three, four years, maybe you're like, wow, these are some good kids. These are real, you know, meaningful players on a competitive team. But the guys that are those right now are going to be, they're not going to be as valuable 
in a few years. You know, I don't know that we should expect more than maybe two to three, if we're lucky, great years left. And I and great is relative to ability. Um, you know, years from guys like Silverberg and Henrique and Raquel, like, I, I don't know how much time those guys have left. You know, they, they really, they really got to think very hard in Anaheim about what it is that they want to do and where they want to be over the next three or four years. You know, I understand that Bob Murray doesn't want to burn it all to the ground and that's fine. But like some of these guys are doing you more harm than good by being on the team. And I think at a certain point you have to make a call and either cash in some of these young guys and go out and make a trade for somebody, you know, and try to bring in that help or move a couple more of these guys out, see what you can get, and uh, start buying more lottery cards or lottery tickets. Yeah, I think we're going to start seeing some of that this season where, you know, Henrik, Silverberg, Raquel, kind of a little bit of the older guard. Uh, I think one of those guys at least is going to have to to be traded or or moved on at at some point to, to make way for some of the younger guys coming up. Um, one guy that uh, Coach Blood in our chat brought up, I, I didn't even mention when we we're talking about defensemen, is is Henry Thrun, and <laughs> like another bit of a swing for the fences. But they got him, I believe, in the third or fourth round, um, in the same draft as Trevor Zegras, uh, and and a guy who probably should have been at least a second round pick, if not higher. Um, you know, he's a, a great, solid two way defenseman. He's a big kid, uh, but the offense came for Harvard in, in his debut season in the NCAA, which was surprising. I mean, he's never really been an offensive defenseman, but he was asked to play the two-way shutdown defenseman role for like a stacked uh, U.S. national development team program that featured Jack Hughes and, and Trevor Zegras and Cole Caulfield and, and that ridiculous class uh, that, you know, I think it was, what, five or six guys that went in the top 15 of the, the 2019 draft. Like, it was a, just a stacked yeah. class, right? And uh, he was kind of asked to play a different role, but he's another guy. When we talk about you know Gooley and and Mahura and and Larson and Juice and uh, Hunter Drew and, and Jamie Drysdale and all those guys, like he's another guy that kind of gets thrown into that discussion. Is is you know in the next couple of years, uh, a guy that could be in the Ducks lineup? Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think uh, you know Stevens wrote a a piece on him and just about kind of how. He's in this weird place, especially with the pandemic, about, like, do I go? Do I stay? He's at Harvard. He's a meaningful piece there. You know, and it seems like he's going to stay there and just kind of tough it out. Uh, you know, and you got to respect it. Happy for him. Uh, but, you know, I, there are a lot of there are a lot of guys involved for Anaheim right now that have the potential to be meaningful players on a good team. And Anaheim just really has to hope that more than a few of these guys hit. Cause if they don't, they just aren't stocked on elite talent enough to kind of survive it. Yeah. You're, if that you're right back to square one. If, if a lot of these guys don't hit and you, you kind of got to start from scratch again before we move on to our next topic here, let's head to our first break. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to ComSchool. 
Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, if, if we're going to talk about sure things, uh, I think John Gibson is as sure a thing as the Ducks have. Um, and, 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 you know, it's a, it's a list from NHL Network, so I'm not super surprised that it's excluding <laughs> some some key players or it's it's got some contra- controversy about it. But uh, NHL Network, I think it was about a, a week ago now, released their top 10 goalies. These top 10 lists from NHL Network are always ridiculous, but... Um, in, in order from 1 to 10, it was Vasilevsky, Rask, Kellebuck, Bishop, Bennington, Price, Kemper, Robin Lehner, Jacob Markstrom, and Anton Kudobin. Uh, there's always an, an immense amount of recency bias in these top 10 lists, but uh, for, for John Gibson to miss that list and how valuable he is to the Ducks and, and how great of a goaltender he is barring one catastrophic season for him, uh, it's ridiculous. In my opinion, and there's probably some bias in there, like I have to admit, there definitely is from watching him all the time. I still think he's a top five goaltender in this league. Uh, yeah. I Look, you know, the easy joke for me looking at that is it was like, dude, I'm not even convinced Jordan Bennington is fifth on St. Louis's depth chart. You know what I mean? Like he's just, you know, I – look – like you said, to some degree, this list was put together to cause enough people to get pissed that they turn their brain off and they start yelling about it, yelling about it online, which obviously we all love to do. It's very fun. I'm not judging anybody. <laughs> but, you know, I have no problem with Kadobin after the year and the postseason that he just had hitting 10. That's fine with me. And give that guy his love. Like, that's wonderful. But, like, Jordan Bennington sucks. Like, I'm sorry. He's just not good. Uh, you know, Carey Price, like, that in a weird way feels like a mix of, you know, recency bias and a legacy vote and legacy award. You know, like Darcy Kemper, whatever, Markstrom. You know, you looking at this list and you're either guys who had, uh, you know, a great playoff run just now or were in the, you know, Vezina race in the last two or three years. You know, for me, like I just, like you said, there's absolutely an amount of bias involved there. But for my money, John Gibson is a top three goaltender in the league. Like I just refuse to believe that that's not where he is. Yeah, it, it's not. You know? It's not fair to look yeah. at one bad season from him on a bad team and be like, "Yep." Yeah. I mean, like literally before that season, everybody was like, "Oh yeah, John Gibson might be the best goaltender in the in the NHL," and really, his only competition is Andre Vasilevsky. And Gibson might be better because the Ducks aren't as good a team as Tampa Bay is. And he was putting up the numbers to prove it. I think Bobrovsky was also in that discussion uh, before you know his nightmare trip to Florida and, and how that's gone for him. 
But yeah, there, there's the, these lists, like you said, they're they're meant to spark controversy. Carey Price always seems to be in here for a legacy vote. He did have a good la- uh, year last year, but he he kind of is in there for that. Hellebuck won the vest. I can't complain with him jumping up spots. No, Hellebuck's great. Yeah. I I think I think that there are more good names on this list than bad names. The bad names are ridiculous, and there is a couple of names that you're like, ooh, are we sure that high? You know, like Carter Hart's not on this list. Like I, I know you know that he's young, but like he had a great Carter season. Hart, he's yeah, he's already better than some of these guys. He's better than Jordan you Bennington. Like I'm, I'm right on the same page with you, Jordan Bennington. He seems to make these lists a lot because he had a Matt Murray type season. But like he's exactly like Matt Murray because when Matt Murray took the Penguins to the Stanley Cup, he was on these lists immediately after doing that. And now where is he? driven out of Pittsburgh to Ottawa because he couldn't get it done. He got beat out by Tristan Yari for the Penguins starting job. Like the guy who was supposed to be the successor to Marc-Andre Fleury. Jordan Bennington reminds me of that so much because I guarantee in three or four years, he might not be on the St. Louis Blues. I... The th- so, okay, you hit it when you said Matt Murray right on the head for me. At least with Matt Murray, he was young. Jordan Bennington's like 27, 28 already. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. not, you know, he's not just hitting the league. And you're like, oh, he struggled a couple years. He might bounce back once he gets some stuff figured out. No, he's just kind of trash. Um, and the thing about Matt Murray is like, and again, I am a Ducks fan, so I am obviously uh, bitter and defensive, but I remember after they won and everybody's like, Oh, Matt Murray is going to be the goaltender that leads the U S Olympic team to gold medal or whatever. And I was like, dude, John Gibson is so much better than Matt Murray already. And he's doing it without Sidney Crosby. Like it, it, and like you said, now Matt Murray's in Ottawa getting overpaid by Eugene Melnick and I'm happy for him, but you don't, you can't look at the way everything has un, has has played out since those, uh, you know, since the, those Stanley Cup years and be like, oh, no, Matt Murray is still a great guy, like, or is still a great goaltender. Like, that's not – Connor Hellebuck was incredible last year. I have no problem with anybody giving him love. He's incredible. Jordan Bennington was just fine, and that St. Louis Blues team was dominant. And that's all they needed. And that's great. He's Trent fucking Dilfer. Like, you know, he he won his ring on the back of everybody else being exceptional. So, I don't know. I'm yeah. getting it. Connor Hellebuck gets that John Gibson treatment sometimes, too. Because uh, two years ago, or even last year, when he had a down year, he was shit. Like, everybody said he was shit. But he wasn't. Yeah. But Winnipeg just sucked. They didn't give him a lot of support. And his numbers weren't good. And then he has an amazing season this year. Oh, nope, he's back being a top goaltender like goalies have bad years like i don't understand when a player has a bad year it's easier for people to chalk that up as oh he just had a bad year he's going to rebound next year a goalie has one bad year and oh no he's no he's not good anymore that's it like in you can clearly look at the team that's in front of a guy like john gibson or connor hellebuck when he had the down year and and be like yeah this is why like this is at least one reason why and for John Gibson, he had a ton of other stuff. Like he was, there was an article that came. I think it was Eric Stevens who wrote it, saying John Gibson lost weight because he was so fatigued and he was so overused. And then right after that, 
he finishes the season horribly because he's just gassed because the Ducks played him in like 45 of the first 50 games of that season. And he was getting shot like 45 plus shots a night. Like nobody's going to be able to withstand that for 60 games in a season. No, absolutely. I, um, you know, I, I think part of it is that there are so many things about goaltending that are so seemingly nebulous and quick to change that, you know, you know, like I, like I, you know, my dad's a Kings fan, you know, and before Jonathan quick, they were just running guys through that crease trying to find guys. And I remember watching every year, like, Oh, that might be the guy or, Oh, this guy might be the guy or that guy, you know, and none of them did, you know, Jonathan Bernier made a nice career for himself and I'm happy for him, but like he, you know, wasn't great. You got Jason LaBarber, like there's all these names, you know, that everybody can be like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. I thought he was going to be a lot better than he was. So I think it almost makes more sense to watch some a goalie who was – excuse me, I'm so sorry. A goalie who was good fall back and struggle than it is for, you know, us to be able to say, oh, no, that's a down year. You know, because the team in front of him was shit. His workload was 40 shots <laughs> – you know, like uh, incredible, like just great shots, 40, taking, you know, 40 chances a night. It's just like we don't know how to do it. And I think goalies obviously play the whole game. And so just there's an overwhelming amount of mental evidence that you see as far as watching them struggle or watching them underperform. And so the next year rolls around and you're like, oh, I don't know. Whereas like with a forward, you're like, Ah, he gets a couple of bounces, four or five more goals early in the season. He catches a run, whatever. Like you can talk yourself into things easier as far as luck and ruts are concerned than you can with a goalie. Yeah. One one guy that we have to mention when we're talking about goalies who who really hasn't struggled as at, at all, really, over the last couple seasons has been uh, Ducks prospect Lucas Dostal. Um, just absolutely dominating the the Finnish Liga and, and not really getting the credit he deserves. Like I, I've seen since his season last year where he won goaltender uh the best goaltender in the league award in the Finnish Liga. Uh and then up until this year as well where he's putting up insane numbers. I think he has like a ten and one record, a nine forty one save percentage and a one one sixty one goals against average, uh which is just well, well above every goaltender in that league at this point. Plus, he's playing behind a team that's just allowing like 30, 40 shots a night. Uh, he's not getting enough credit. Like, there is a ton of top 10 goalie lists and, and top NHL prospect lists where somehow he finds his way into the honorable mentions, not into the top 10, with goaltenders in that league who are ranked in the top 10 above him, which is insane. Uh, but he he is a special prospect for me. I've been a huge fan of Lucas Dostal since the Ducks took him. Uh, he was the number one ranked European goaltender when they took him, and he was like the fourth European goaltender to go in that draft for some reason. And uh, he's just proven people wrong since the Ducks took him. And uh, he's on his way to Anaheim. Ducks, uh, I don't want to say terminated the loan, but they exercised their right to bring him back from his loan with the Eels in the Finnish Liga. And he's coming to, to Anaheim for training camp. 
and he'll be making uh, hopefully his uh, North American debut, whether that's with the Gulls or or with the Ducks, come uh, January or February. Yeah, man, it's uh, it, it's exciting. You know, I think um, it's hard to look at the team struggle through John Gibson's great years and not have this kind of sense of impending dread that by the time the team in front of him figures it out, John Gibson is, you know, he's going to be, he might be 30, but he's going to have the miles on him of like a 75-year-old man. You know, and he's just going to be worn out. Like we saw it happen with Corey Schneider. Like these things happen. And so to know that, you know, you've got a guy in the pipeline who looks like he has a chance to be the next guy is great. But also, you know, it's it's nice to not have to need 40-year-old Ryan Miller to play 20 games a year. You know, Stolarz is fine. You know, Kevin Boyle moved on to, I think, Detroit. Um, you know, there's Erickson Eck and all that. Like, there's guys that like, all right, yeah, maybe whatever. But, you know, if Dostal can play a year in the AHL and show it, you know, maybe he comes up and he's playing – 15, 20 games a year as a rookie and he's backing up John Gibson and the two of them got a nice thing going and you end up with, uh, what's the kid who backed up, uh, Holpe? Oh man. Um, you know what I'm saying? That yeah. Guy, well, it'd be like, it's another Freddie Gibson scenario, right? Where? Yeah. Except Freddie sucks. <laughs> I don't, don't want to. Uh, That's a, that sounds Freddie... like a topic for another day. <laughs> Fine tender. <laughs> he is nowhere near as good as a Toronto people pretend he is, or b certain amounts of Ducks fans yeah. want him to For be. Sure. So, but I just I think it's good to have him, you know. And like you said, the numbers are ridiculous, and you see a couple of the highlights, and you're just like, oh, like this kid's good. I don't even think he's that big. Is he only like six yeah, one? I think he's. I think he might be 5'11". I'll have to double-check that, but yeah, you know, he's not a big but it's guy. Kind of, he's not like Rene. He's not like noticeably big. It's fun to watch somebody play that kind of goalie, you know, because, like, I don't know how old you are, actually. I realize that now, but, like, when I was growing up, like, goalies weren't all big. You know, guys like Patrick Waugh were the exception. And so, you know, to watch some of these more old-school guys who were just quick and moving around the crease – you know, and they look like the crease four times as big as they are. Like, I love that stuff. I love that kind of hectic goaltending. That's why it was so much fun for Domin to watch Dominic Hashik, you know, because he never looked like he knew what he was doing, but he was just always incredible. And you're just like, yeah, man, that's fun. You know, and even early on in Gibby's career, he's bigger and he's it's a little different for him, but his athleticism made him fun. He wasn't good because he was boring. He was good because he was out of position here or there, and he just was able to get back. And, you know, as he's gotten older and more experienced, he's worked on that, and he's much more fundamentally sound and playing rebounds and angles and that kind of stuff. He still doesn't seem to be able to stop a breakaway, but it's fine. (laughs) You know, I just – it's fun. You know, it's nice to know that that guy's coming up. Yeah, and and the the interesting question for me is – you know, Ryan Miller aside, assuming he doesn't come back, which is slowly looking more and more likely that he isn't. Anthony Stolarz is the Ducks' go-to option, or at least the favorite <laughs> option right now as, as a backup goaltender. 
and he's got 26 games of NHL experience. Like, he was good for San Diego last year. I'm not going to deny that. He played one game for Anaheim. He looked good when he came up. I'm well, I was willing to give the guy a shot, but I honestly didn't think Lucas Dostal was going to come over this year. I thought it was going to be next year. I thought Dostal was two years away, at least based on just kind of what it seemed to be going for him. It just opens a whole new conversation now where Stolarz is no longer a lock. Maybe he has the inside track because he's been in the Ducks organization for the last year, played well. Sure, you can say he has Mm -hmm. the inside track there, but I think it's going to come down to training camp. Honestly, if Dostal comes in and looks amazing and Stolarz struggles... I don't see why the Ducks can't play Dostal for you know a, a couple games here and there in the NHL and see how he does. You have that option in Stolarz down in San Diego if you want to switch them around. I don't think Stolarz 26 games in the NHL and 39 games in the AHL is significantly much more experienced than Dostal's 50, 60 games in the Finnish Liga. Like I, I don't think there's a huge difference in terms of competition between the, the AHL uh, in the league in Finland, where Stolarz has this significant advantage over Dostal. The only advantage I can come up with is the North American ice versus uh, European ice, and that potentially mm. being an issue. But the way Dostal plays, I, I can't see that being an issue, and that's usually not as much of an issue for goaltenders as it is for defensemen and forwards, where you know there is an adjustment period there, and you are you know, getting a lot more action, a lot more crowded in front of the net than you would be in, in the European ice where it's spread out a little bit. But, like, I would not be surprised if Dostal stole the backup job for this year just based off talent alone. Like, I don't think Stolarz has this locked down. Yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, perhaps the two most likely for me is either they carry three goalies to start the year and, you know, this is all assuming it's not Ryan Miller. Um, you know, and you're looking at Stolarz and Dostal kind of splitting in games a little bit early. And, uh, you know, you're seeing how, like, which one of them does, how Dostal's doing. I also think the other option is you bring up Dostal first. You let him play a couple of games, get him get that taste he always doing. And then you send him back down, you bring Stolarz up, and you let, you know, Dostal be the guy or a dead 50-50 split in San Diego. I don't. I don't think bringing Dostal up to sit on the bench is a great idea because I don't think there's any reason to think he can't gain from playing more games more often. But if they feel like he's a 30-game-a-year guy right away, then that's a different story. You know, if he's going to be playing every third or fourth game, then I don't think that's a thing. But Gibson's gonna play a vast majority of the games you know gibson the impression that i get is that gibson wants to play 65 70 games you know he wants to prove that he's one of those old school 70 games 40 win goalies so yeah i i could see i i think the ducks would rather him not be that guy but i i think you know you know john gibson wants to be the guy and the nhl seems to be and and this could be a uh, you know a a phase trending towards tandem goaltenders when you look at um you know Bishop and and Hudobin um you know 
uh, I guess Gibson and Miller. There, there is a, a few more tandems around the league than there have been in the past. Now, obviously, Vasilevsky ends up winning the Stanley Cup, and there was really no tandem whatsoever in Tampa Bay. So it, it could be a, you know a little bit of a phase. But John Gibson, I think, will at least play 60. I think he's going to at least play 60 this year, or close to 60. It, it, I don't think he'll be under 55. He's going to play a lot of games this year, especially if Ryan Miller doesn't come back. Unless Dostal or Stolarz can just prove, you know, that they are a capable NHL backup early on. Like if they have three or four solid games under their belt and putting up good numbers, then maybe the Ducks feel a bit more comfortable playing them in, in a couple of different games. And obviously this season is going to likely be a shortened season anyway, and there's going to be a lot of back-to-back. So John Gibson isn't going to get to a 70-game mark. But I know what you mean. Like in a regular season, I think you would have been aiming for that. Yeah. Um, Joseph says in the chat, he says he doesn't think Dostal's coming up at all from San Diego. He's got to cook for another year before coming to the NHL. I, I just don't necessarily think you can say that yet. Like, I don't think it's – I don't want to say I don't think it's true, but I, I just don't think you can predict that yet because if Ryan Miller was there, I'd say 100% they're going to play Dostal in the AHL. I mean, Dostal probably wouldn't even come over if Ryan Miller was, was already signed. I think they might have, might have left him over – um, in Finland, but I don't think you can say that Stolarz is significantly better than than Lucas Dostal because Stolarz has played a handful of games in the NHL and and had a, one good AHL season last year. I I don't necessarily think he he's that much better. Where you can say, oh, Dostal needs another season in the AHL. If Dostal gets three or four games in the NHL and looks good, why do you need to play him in the in the AHL? I mean, if he struggles, sure, and maybe you, you your argument is you start him in the AHL to get accustomed to playing in North America, and then you see how Stolarz does, and then maybe you switch it up if Stolarz is struggling. I just can't see that argument that nope, Dostal needs another season. He's gonna stay in the AHL all year because I don't think the Ducks have the luxury to be like, yep, we're just gonna play Stolarz, and if he's bad, he's bad. We're not gonna we're gonna leave Dostal in San Diego all year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, there are guys out there that Anaheim could bring in to play 15, 20 games if Stolarz isn't the guy, right? They can go out and get Craig Anderson. They can go out and get, uh, what's his name? Uh, Corey Schneider, right? There, there's There's guys out there that they can bring on and give that chance. We're going to be happy for it. My thing with Dostal really is just boils down to development. And it's, is he going to get more value from taking practice against NHLers or playing games against AHLers on a regular basis? And I, I am hard pressed to think it's not a better decision to just let him get more games and let him develop. To me, there's there's some comments in the chat right now saying to, to not pull a Cam Fowler with Lucas Dostal. The reason I think this is different, if you threw Drysdale in the, into the NHL right now, I'd be saying you're pulling a Cam Fowler because you're taking Drysdale from a junior league and saying, here's the NHL, buddy, show me what you can do. The difference is Lucas Dostal has played a full season against men last year in the Finnish Liga and was the league's best goaltender. Played 11 games this year, showed that it wasn't a fluke, and is putting up even better numbers this year. 
like I said, that the competition level is, you know, going from the junior to the AHL, that's a big jump. And junior to the NHL is an even bigger jump. Going from professional men's league in Finland, which is widely considered one of the top five leagues in the world, to the AHL, I don't. I think it's a lateral move. Maybe it's a little bit of a jump. Maybe the competition's a little bit better in the AHL. But I don't necessarily think you're Cam Fowlering him by saying, okay, you're going to jump from Finland right into the NHL if he shows that he's ready. I don't think you're hurting his development if he's playing well in the NHL. There's no harm in saying, hey, here's a couple games. We're going to see how you do. If he does well, keep playing him. You're not, in my opinion pulling a Cam Fowler because of the league he's coming from, because of the competition he's been playing at and how well he showed. If he was decent in the Finnish Liga coming over this year, I'd be like, okay, he needs AHL time to prove to me that he can produce in a professional league against men. But he's already shown me he can do that. Doesn't mean he's NHL ready, maybe not. But I think he at least has earned the shot or at least doesn't need to have that tagline as throwing him in the NHL is going to ruin his development. I think that's perfectly fair. I think you're absolutely right in that he has earned the opportunity based on his play in the Finnish Liga to come in and be on an NHL roster. I think that's totally fair. For me, I just, it's a, which does he have more to gain from? And if they feel that he has more to gain, more to gain by being a backup at the NHL level, then that's great. Like these guys are pros, you know what I mean? They, that's their job, not mine. So I get that. But the one thing I do want to say, because I saw it in the chat and I saw it earlier on Twitter, Dostal will not be eligible because first and second year players aren't eligible for the expansion draft. So he that isn't a concern with him. Yeah, whether um, he plays NHL or not, he's not eligible for the, for the Seattle yeah, expansion no, it's draft. Not, so it is entirely based on what is best for him and his development. The expansion draft isn't going to play into any decision they make with him. Yeah, I, I see that point too. Like the, is, you know, playing however many games. So let's let's just assume it's a regular NHL season. I know it's not going to be, but just so I can state my game facts here. If he was to play 40 right. games with the San Diego Gulls or 15 games with the NHL, which one is better for him at that point? I can see that argument because they're, you know, we say we talk about that with players as well. What's better, you know, Max Jones playing fourth line in the NHL or playing first line in the AHL? We've had that argument with, about Terry and Steele and Comtois and Jones for the last couple seasons. You know, what's better for them playing, you know, top minutes in, you know, 15, 16, 17 minutes a night in the AHL or five, six, or seven minutes a night in the NHL? You know, there's a, there's an argument there that I think you can extend. As well to Lucas Dostal, um, and and for me, I I think I have no issue starting him in the AHL. I actually think that's the best place for him to start, and see how he does. You know, training camp aside, even if he is exceptional in training camp, I think he should. If he it can be guaranteed the starting goaltender job with San Diego, I think him starting there is good. Seeing how he can adjust to North America, seeing how he does against AHL competition, uh, but if he does well and he you know, puts up similar numbers to what he's putting up in Finland. I am not against saying, all right, he's proven to me that he can do it. Let's see how you can do in the NHL. Because if he's showing me he has nothing left to gain, again, you know, playing against AHL competition, that's when he's ready for the next step. So I think you can kind of accomplish both at that point and, you know, start him in the AHL, see how he does. And if he's just showing that he's, he's too good for that level, 
then I think he deserves a shot to, to see if he can stick around in the NHL. And at that point, playing him against better competition, even if he's playing less games, I think is more beneficial for his development if he's proven that he is too good for the AHL level. Yeah, no, I think that's all fair. I think that's totally reasonable. Um, you know, I mean, if there's nothing to gain from playing him in the AHL, then, you know, you adjust accordingly. And there's a lot of worse problems to have than two good goalies. Um, you know, so. Last last thoughts you know. on, on, on Dostal um, as just a very, very early projection for the future. Uh, do you think... Dostal is a future number one goaltender for the Anaheim Ducks. Do you think it ever forces their hand to trade John Gibson? Oh. It's such a hard question to answer this early, but I've seen, and, and it's probably jokingly, but I've seen remarks say, you know, Dostal could be yeah. good enough that um, the Ducks could explore trading John Gibson if he comes to the NHL and shows that he can do that. Uh, oh, man, I... Because if he is at one point, like somebody's going to have to get traded, right? Like if he proves he's a number one netminder, one of them has to go. You can't keep both of them, and both of them well, have have, um, have good trade value. Dostal would, is still on an ELC. If he proves he's a starting goaltender in a year or two, you've got him before he signs a, a you know his first contract, and it's not going to be too much money. You've got the value there of a young goaltender, and with John Gibson. If he comes in and proves he's still one of the top goaltenders in the league, you've then got a top five NHL goaltender at making less than seven million dollars, right? Like you've got you're in a good position at that point. If Lucas Dostal forces your hand, you're in a very good position. I did see the Gibson for Eichel <laughs> comment in the chat, which uh That's my favorite thing in the world. I'm into it, man. Let's make it happen. I uh yeah, I think I think it, yes, if Tostel comes in at the end of this year, beginning of next year, and you know he's the fucking second coming of Carter Hart, then sure, maybe you have to start looking at making a decision there, right? But I, I honestly don't think it'll get to there because I think it'll depend on, I mean, maybe it will. Maybe they have to trade Gibson at the end. I don't know. I just, I am not convinced that Dosta will be a starter on the Ducks with less or with more than two years left on Gibby's contract? Yeah. Yeah. He's going to take that. Goaltenders always take longer development. I mean, Carter Hart was a little bit of a one-off in terms of coming in at 2021. Uh, and, and already playing and, and clearly being a you know a very good goaltender at the the NHL level, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's he's twenty seven. John Gibson. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it, it's it's obviously all pure speculation at this point. I'm not. I like Lucas Dostal a lot, but I can sit here and say I'm not as sold that he's going to be a number one goaltender as I am that Trevor Zegras is going to be a number one forward, like a top line forward. Like it, it's easier for me to look at Trevor Zegras and say, he's going to be a top line forward rather than looking at Lucas Doss. Like it's, it's so hard for me to project goalies and be like, this guy's going to be a number one goaltender because so many things can go wrong. 
and especially that that transition from Europe to North America, like there's so many things that could go wrong there where maybe it just doesn't work or maybe he's the NHL level is just too much for him. And sure, you could say the same thing about Trevor Zegers, but for some reason, like goalies just have this air of mystery about them. And it's why goaltenders really don't go that high in the draft anymore. I know we've seen some exceptions. Go ahead and call that Spencer Knight. Yeah, Mastro. that's what I'm saying. We've seen some exceptions yeah. lately, but for a while it was other than Flurry going first overall, we goalie started to go either late first or into the second round because projecting them is just so so difficult in comparison to to other players. And I guess it you know there's it, it's because there's less of them in your system at that point, and it, it is just kind of tough to project them. So I I don't know. I like Lucas Dostal a lot. I'm kind of rambling now, but I I do. Uh, I I think you're. Right. I think, you know, I think unless he comes over and he proves definitively that he's ready sooner than later to start 40 games a year, you don't you don't do it to yourself. There's no reason to mess with it. And, you know, I I don't see him pushing Gibby out of a job, but I will say. And I think we can ask the chat to help me peer pressure you into this. <laughs> that you need to commit to Trevor Zegers' number one center because you are banking or uh, what do you call it? Hedging so hard on him getting pushed to the wing. I am. I am. I'm. I'm not ready to say he's a number one center yet. I can't. Uh, I can't. I just don't know if he has the intangibles to be a center at the NHL level. Um, you know, he's not small. He is six feet and he'll fill out and get closer to 185, 90, 190 pounds. Um, but I don't know, man, like the, the, the discipline and his two way game isn't bad. I think it's better than he gets credit for. Uh, but I just, I got to see him take draws and, and play center at the NHL level. Like he did it at college. You know, he, he did it, uh, a little bit for the U S national development team, but played on the wing mostly there as well. Um, I'm just not ready yet. But I did. I said the same thing about Sam Steele. I said there's no way he's going to play center at the NHL level, and he proved me wrong. He proved me wrong. I, I, he's definitely a center by by all sense of the term, uh, and he's a very good two way center. And he proved me wrong. So Zegers could prove me wrong for sure. But there's no way. Like I would not bet money on him being a first line center versus a first line wing. Uh, I still think there's a very good chance he could move to the wing. Coward. I'm not. I'm not ready yet. I can't. <laughs> this this year could like this year he's gonna play professional hockey, and the Ducks do have a history of playing guys that they think could be centers at center. I mean, Lundstrom played like seven games after he got drafted, which is a huge surprise. Played it down the middle. Sam Steele down the middle. Ricard Raquel when he was drafted was a center. They played him down the middle. Getzlaff when he came up early in his career, they played him down the middle. So if Zegras is going to get NHL time. They're going to play him down the middle. I would hope if they're going to at least see if he's a center, if not, they're going to play him in San Diego and he's going to play down the middle. And then I'll get, you know, you'll give me five, 10 games to, to take a look at how he does at that level uh, at center. And I'll, and I'll, I'll make the bet. I'll, I'll make the decision at that point. There it is. I need to see it. I, I, I've, I've seen the levels he's done it at. They're not, they're, you know, college and, and essentially junior in the u.s it uh it, it yeah I, I can't bet on it yet 
Yeah, I uh, I'm very excited just to see what Zegris is gonna do, and uh, it I'm looking forward to whenever Perot pops up and just having the opportunity to give Zegers a goal scorer. Yeah, yeah, because I mean they they kind of desperately need it at this point, right? There is no there is no <laughs> Alexander Holtz. I mean we went with Jamie Dryso, which he can't complain, but well, you can. We I'm very good at complaining. We'll have to see. Uh-huh. I, I've softened on that a bit because I do like Jamie Drysdale. But if you if I go back to draft day, I still wanted Alexander Holtz at that spot. Yeah, yeah. I it's very hard for me to not. There's no world where I think it's a bad pick, right? I think it was a very good pick. Um. I think he he fills a need. He has a skill set and a handedness that uh, you know the team really lacks. I think, uh, from a philosophical standpoint, the fact that they went with a sub six foot uh, skilled defenseman, I think, is a great sign. You know, because I don't get the impression from him that he's like Montour, and I think Montour was over six foot. Yeah. No, he might have been five ten. Montour was nasty. Like he had that physicality to his game, and I don't get that impression from Dreesdale. And so I think the fact that they were willing to do it is a great sign. But I definitely wanted yeah, uh, Lucas Rand. That was the guy I haven't been be- this excited about a Ducks defenseman's offense potential since Shea Theodore. Um, you know, looking at numbers that they they produced at the junior level. Uh, yeah, like you know, Shea Theodore was clearly getting it done, and you felt like when he got here and figured it out, he was going to be a solid point producer, and, and he's proving he is. He's proving in Vegas that he can be a 40- to 50-point defenseman uh, in a season, right? So I, I think he, you know, he, he's going to get to that point at, at, at some point. So, you know, Drysdale might have been not my pick at uh, – at number what, what number six for this year's draft, I think Alexander Holtz would have been my guy. But you can't complain. I mean, when you look at what they've got in the draft, when they had a clear focus on right-handed defensemen, um, they went uh, you know Jamie Drysdale, Ian Moore, Timo Nickel, um, and, and then kind of went for the goal scorers with Jacob Perot and Sam Colangelo as well. I think when you pair Drysdale with Perot and with Colangelo as kind of a draft class, it, it makes it easier for me to be like, okay, you know, I can buy into why they took Drysdale. But we should all be happy that the Senators took Jake Sanderson at five. That's what we should all be happy about. Because, <laughs> well, I mean, we've already seen the comments from Marie. If you haven't, to go back to Eric Stevens' articles from back around the draft, and there's some some comments from Murray. Uh, and Martin Madden in there where uh, they had basically said if Drysdale went at five or four or three or whatever, uh, Jake Sanderson was their guy. They were going defenseman with that pick no matter what. Uh, so I would, if we were sitting here today and discussing about the Ducks taking Jake Sanderson at six, uh, man, I would, I would not be, uh, I would not be a happy camper. I still maintain that my greatest conspiracy theory, insane person idea was trading to get a second top 10 pick and taking both of them. Yeah. 
I'm I I still wish they picked up that second top ten pick. I mean, it felt it. We can say that as armchair DMs and be like, oh my god, it makes so much sense. The Ducks, you know, just need to pick up another top ten, top fifteen pick. They've got the assets to do it. There's teams who would probably be willing to move them. Uh, but then, of course, it, it, it doesn't materialize. But there were some good players that, that went in the top 15 that I felt like, you know, the Ducks need to get up there and get these guys. Like, Cole Perfetti went 12th, I think. Marco mm-hmm. Rossi went 9th. Like, I don't know if any of those teams would have traded those picks. But Lundell went 10? Who went 10? Lundell? Yes, was, Lund- went Lundell 10? went, uh, I think, yeah, he went, he went 10 to Florida. Uh, Perfetti went to Winnipeg. Um, you know, I don't think the Ducks could have used Askarov, but Askarov went to Nashville. Amirov went to at fifteen to Toronto. <laughs> like there was some good players that you could have jumped jumped up to that spot uh, and and you know moved to maybe an asset like Adam Henrique or, or Josh Manson and and uh, you know some other rather picks or prospects to get to that spot. But I, I think they had mentioned they were looking at it. But it just didn't come together, and I guess it's tough to to have those deals come together on draft day. But it it's always a missed opportunity for me when you have the assets to move up. You're a team that's clearly in a rebuild, and uh, you didn't get it done. Right? And the Kings, the Kings came out and said they were trying to do the same thing. They were really trying to get another pick in the first round, and the deals that were getting put in front of them just weren't worth it. But of course, our GM is not so open as the Kings director of amateur scouting is, so we don't uh, we don't hear about deals that could have happened. We only hear them from Brian Burke, because apparently he talks about <laughs> all the deals that could have happened and how he could have traded a young Ryan Getzlaff or Bobby yeah. Ryan for a 33-year-old Chuck. Keith Kachuk. So. <laughs> I will die on that hill that I would have liked to have watched that more. I don't care. Keith Kachuk was a legend. If it was, if it was young Bobby Ryan for... 33-year-old Keith Kachuk, like, now I could justify that. At the time, I probably wouldn't have. But, like, now, looking at how Bobby Ryan's career has gone after Anaheim, I- I'll justify that if it got the Ducks another cup. But... I, I, <laughs> yeah, that's my thing is, like, I, I don't... <laughs> it's purely an aesthetic choice. Like, I just like the way that Keith Kachuk played hockey. And it just would have been more fun for me. Uh, it would have been a bad trade unless, you know, they could have gotten a pick or something out of it that turned into somebody. You know, I'm sure I can deep dive the uh, St. Louis Blues draft history and find someone with a third pick that would have been great or something. But, you know, I, I, I certainly understand not making the trade. But just if you, if you tell me we're going to take Keith Kachuk and we're going to play him with a 21-year-old Ryan Getzloff and Corey Perry. I'm like, yeah, no, I want that now. Yeah. Like, do that now. Add in Pronger, Niedemeyer, Timu. And, exactly. Yeah, you, you're potentially not just winning the Cup in 07, but before that and after that. Man. <laughs> just it, thinking about what could have been. Just makes, I just I, – I love Keith Kachuk, man. He's such a – like I just I love his sons. Like he would have been Matt perfect for that team. Like this, just the way he played. Like he would have fit seamlessly yeah. into that team. Oh, I could go for Matt Matthew Kachuk on on the Ducks right now. Even Brady, but I haven't seen enough of Brady. Like Brady looked really good last year, and like in fantasy hockey, he's like he's all you could want. Like he shoots the puck a lot. He hits everything. Yeah. What the second or third best player on the Senators? Like 
somebody's got to score goals. Yeah, uh, but man, like Matthew Kachuk, I've always been a big fan. I mean, obviously, he played for the London Knights. Uh, you know, watched him. Oh, yeah, yeah watched him uh, lead London with Marner and in company to uh, to a Memorial Cup. So, I'm trying. Okay, so just this isn't relevant. I don't know how much anybody cares, but like I'm trying to imagine the hilarity of having Matthew Kachuk, who is straight out of the 70s, and Mitch Marner, who is, I think, straight out of the 2070s version of hockey, uh, on the same team, driving you crazy in both ways. Like, oh, yeah, here's this big, gangly, goofy kid with the afro who seems to make everybody want to hit him. And then there's this little kid over here that we literally can't hit because we can't catch him. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, no, this is this is great. That's that sounds fun. It's still to this day one of the the best junior hockey lines I've ever seen was uh, Christian Dvorak, Mitch Marner and and Matthew Kachuk. And Dvorak was getting a, a free ride there. On, uh, yeah, cuz he ended up where uh, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, he was a second round pick I think because of, you know, obviously you're playing with the Knights already, you kind of get a boost in your draft stock just because you're coming from London in that program. Uh, but then you're playing between Marner and, and Kachuk. That kind of that kind of gives you a nice boost. And Max Jones was on that team too. He didn't quite you know squeak into that that top line, but he was he was a part of that team as well. Played a bit of a different role, but yeah, that I mean Matthew Kachuk is is a player that um, I think any team would be happy to have. I mean he's exactly like what you know young Corey Perry was like. You know just a pest, yeah. but supremely talented. Um, in all facets of the game. I mean, like Corey Perry is a bit more of a pure goal scorer than I think Matthew Kachuk is. And I think Kachuk has a bit more, you know, one-on-one skill and, and kind of that that ability to beat a defender one-on-one than maybe Corey Perry had, even in his early days. But that's just how the game is trended. Like, Matthew Kachuk is, is you know, we talk about Sam Colangelo, Max Jones, Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow as players that, types of players that every team needs. Matthew Kuchuk is one of those rare players where he does that, but he's also probably your best offensive player as well. Like he does it all uh, as much as I, you know, I hate to play against the guy because he, he's a pain in your ass, but how many years did, you know, teams hate playing against Corey Perry because, you know, you know there are people out there who know nothing about the ducks or about the rest of their players but absolutely hated Anaheim because of Corey Perry. And that's how it's going to be with, with Calgary for the next five to ten years because Matthew Kuchuk plays for the Flames. And that's going to rub right off on the Flames. People are going to hate the Calgary Flames just because of Matthew Kuchuk. Look, Jerome McGinley is my favorite player to never play for the Ducks. And to have someone like Matt Kuchuk who... Not quite the same. Obviously, it's a little early to say that he's a comparable but as far as that physical style of play, you know, I think uh, it's it's very cool to have those two guys uh, because Jerome McGinley is the you know preeminent power forward of his generation, mm-hmm. and uh, Matthew Kachuk has a chance to be a very special, more modern version of that. Yeah. All right. Let's head into our second break here, and then we'll wrap up the show. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. 
You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, when we end this, we'll end this with, uh, and we talked talked a little bit about Ryan Getzlaff, so we'll end this with Ryan Getzlaff and uh, some of the ridiculous rumors that have kind of been popping out uh, out of nowhere here um, that the Ducks are exploring or listening to, you know, offers for Ryan Getzlaff or exploring trading Ryan Getzlaff started, I think, back in, you know, it's been going on for a while, but I believe, like, the, the core of these rumors started back in August. Um, I think it was NHL trade rumors, which already right off the bat isn't really a, a credible source when you look at some of the credible source and, and verified sources out there. But they had heard, apparently, from a Western Conference source that the Ducks received calls from a trio of teams, one of them being Nashville, where it was thought that the Predators offered a package that included Ryan Johansson, prospect Frederick Ellard, and at least one draft pick. Now, I don't know how true that is. I, I struggle to believe there's any substance behind that whatsoever that Nashville would look at moving Ryan Johansson for Ryan Getzlaff, plus adding on top of that, um, which makes no sense at all. Um, I, I don't get it. I don't think there's any, any validity to the least those rumors, but there, there could be something in that the Ducks maybe would be looking at trading Ryan Getzlaff, but I, I just can't. I can't get behind it too much. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I mean, the idea of, like, look, I hate Ryan Johansson. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> I can't stand that guy. But, like, the idea that you would trade Ryan Johansson, who's not yet 30, for 400-year-old Ryan Getzloff, and then you would be the one to add a pick yeah. and a prospect is hilarious like you know i'm not sure that you know the alard kid isn't the source like just get me <laughs> yeah get me out of nashville <laughs> you know i it's just such a ridiculous thing now the conversation around shading gets off is a very interesting one i think there is a lot of merit to the idea of seeing if you can get any kind of pick or prospect of value to send him to a contender for a year or for a stretch run or something like that. But ultimately he makes a lot of money in a year where the cap is flat. He's got a full no movement clause and he has earned the right to make that decision for himself. Um, you know, if he comes to Bob Murray and he goes, you know, I've had a great time here but I would like to look into moving on, uh, maybe having one more chance uh, at running for a cup. If anybody comes to you with an offer, let me know and we can have an honest conversation about me waving. Sure, that's great. But until he does that, I don't think it's a thing because Bob Murray, for all that we know, wouldn't even ask Kevin Bieksa to waive a no move where he wouldn't have been taken for the Vegas draft. He's not shipping out one of the 
four best players in the history of the franchise, especially when you look at players that were drafted by the team. He's second. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, like I said, if Ryan gets off, walks into the office and says, hey, if you get anything, let me know. I'm open to it. And uh, it'd be, you know, a way that I can, you know, kind of like wrestling, going out on your back and putting somebody over. Maybe he brings in a prospect or a pick or something that turns into a, a stud. Great. But until I hear from Ryan Getzloff, Eric Stevens, or Bob Murray that Ryan Getzloff is on his way is out the door, I'm just – none of it's going to make sense to me. It's not going to seem real. Yeah, and Ryan Getzloff is, has always said – you know, if the team wanted to ever move in another direction, that he would be willing to move on to for the betterment of the team. But also, what else are you going to say as the captain of the team, right? At, at that point in his career, like he knows it's he, he knows it, it's a possibility that could come up, and he's asked directly about you know, are you going to be a duck for life or are you going to you know move on? I think it was directly right after Corey Perry got bought out too, so it was a tough question. But honestly, like mm-hmm. like I said, what else is he going to say? He's going to say, no, I'm never going to move on. I'm going to stay here forever. I'm going to sign another contract. Like, that just, that just <laughs> doesn't really happen. Like, he, like it's, it's a scripted answer. Like, he was always going to be like, yeah, if they want me to move on, you know, I'll do it for the team. But behind the scenes, he could be like, you know, Bob Murray could come to him and be like, hey, we're going to get Jack Eichel for you. And Getzlaff could be like, no, I'm not moving. My family's here. I got a no-move clause. I'm not going anywhere. Like, it's yeah. it's obviously, you know, a joke scenario. But he could be saying a very different thing behind the scenes. Like, it, it's a scripted response for public when he says, yeah, you know, if they want me to move, they, you know, I'll move. I think he would. I think well, if Bob Murray that's... came to him and said, hey, you know, you know, we got some offers. They, these are what they are. We need to move you on to move some get some younger players in the lineup. I think Getzlaff would have that discussion. Whether he eventually waves it or not, I think depends on, you know, where the location is, how far away he is from his family, the the shot at winning a Stanley Cup like you mentioned, right? And and whether there is talks of him potentially coming back to Anaheim after he mm-hmm. hits free agency next year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't Maybe you are referring to a different one, but I remember when Stevens talked to him about it. The thing that he said, he goes, look, the no movement clause wasn't meant to be an end to any conversation. It was meant to be a sign from both sides that we wanted me here. And me and Murph have said that if he thinks it's a thing that needs to happen, he'll come and have a conversation with me and we can talk about it. But I would like to play for one team and it's very important to me. Uh, So, you know, like I said, like until – you know, one of those three guys, you know, maybe you say, you know, McKenzie or Friedman or whatever, if you want to be serious. But, you know, until somebody who I can actually, like, believe knows what the hell they're talking about, say, is Getzloff is on the block. Like, I'm just not going to believe it. And I'm certainly not going to believe it from Joe Haggerty. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, the sources we've heard it from are, like, NHL trade rumors and Jimmy Murphy and, like, like not really credible guys and like these rumors about gets live they come up almost like every two or three years where like oh the ducks are gonna trade gets live oh they're gonna trade gets live like i remember in 2012 there was rumors that they were they were gonna trade gets live and move on from them and, and obviously that didn't happen um you know if in my personal opinion i think gets live retires a duck i i think 
you know, at the the only point he would be traded would be this upcoming season if he wanted another mm-hmm. shot at the cup. Eat half of his salary for one year. He's only down to four, about four million at that point. You know, ship him to a team he wants to go to try and win a cup, and then bring him back at, at less next year. But if you're going to bring him back, there's no point in trading him in the first place unless the the assets you're getting help the team. And I can't see Getzlaff putting himself and his family through that for one season just to do right. that. So, uh, but I mean, hey, I didn't think Perry was going to get bought out, and you know they proved me wrong there. So who knows? Yeah, I think for me, there is one team that when he's been, it's Calgary, right? He played for the Hitmen. He's had his number retired by the Hitmen. You know, he's got a very strong tie to that community by all accounts. His family lives there. His brother plays in the CFL there. so. So given the fact that that's that and that Calgary roster is good, you know what I mean? They've got talent. Uh, you know, maybe he would be willing to do it and try to bring a championship to Calgary and do all that kind of stuff. You know, but beyond that, like I like he, there's no reason for him to leave Southern California for you know Minnesota or you know, or you know anywhere maybe, else. Like there really yeah, isn't like Tampa Bay or whatever. Like there just doesn't make sense for him at the point he is in his career. And I didn't even think about that, but yeah, Calgary really is the only place that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the only, just from a logistical standpoint, the only other team that I can think of that makes sense is Vegas, and that's specifically because his family can stay home, and the drive, or because they're rich, the flight isn't that bad. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But other than that, like, I really, I really, unless he makes that call for himself, or there's an opportunity that is too good for him to pass up, I only, I really think Vegas and Calgary are the only two teams that really might have a shot at getting him out of there. Be interesting. I, I think he ultimately sticks around. Um, you know, signs a new contract. We'll see yep. what that value comes in at. I would have to think it's probably around three or four million uh, for at least you know two two seasons potentially after this deal. Um, I think he would take more money if it meant only one year deals. I think so, but I don't know if the Ducks are in a position to be like, hey, here's $7 million for one year, like a Joe Thornton-type deal, right? If it's, if it's three years, $4 million versus one year, $5 million. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think... You're American, all by all accounts. Like, the moment he retires, he can get some, you know, made-up job in Anna at the in the Ducks organization. It's not like they're not going to fucking pay him. Yeah, and it's not like he needs the money like he's been paid right. eight million eight and a half million for the last like 10 years um well, so it, been, he doesn't need to cash in god man the, i just the degree of perfect timing for Corey perry to win that heart right when they were both coming up for their extensions and it's like ah i'm Corey perry i guess i'll make four hundred thousand dollars more than ryan Getzloff. and everybody's like yeah it's so weird. Yeah. Joseph said two by 5.5. 5. Um, man, like, I just don't know. Like, he's a 45, maybe 50-point guy, but I got to really see how he does this year. Like, does the regression continue? Do the Ducks really need that at this point? Like, if he wasn't Ryan Getzlaff, would he be resigned? I don't think so. 
Like, but he's Ryan Getzlaff, so he kind of has yeah. to come back. And then if he comes back, then do you have to move Henrik because Sam Steele needs more minutes, and yes. Benoit Levy-Grew needs to come up, and Lindstrom needs to come up, and Zegers needs to play center, and it's like something has to change. I think that's why these Getzlaff trade rumors have come back around because the Ducks have so many young players, especially centers that need to get into the lineup in the next yeah. couple seasons. And right when that kind of became evident, the Henrik trade rumors heated up again around the draft. And then, oh, well, let's throw in some Getzlaff rumors to that as well because he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of, of this upcoming season. Like, I honestly think that's kind of where they came from. Uh, you know, we heard Henrik rumors from a little bit uh, of more valid sources. I think Elliot Friedman uh, in his 31 thoughts at one point talked about the Ducks exploring a trade for Henrik. I know uh, TSN Radio here back uh, during the beginning of free agency, we're talking about the Ducks exploring, you know, potentially trades for Adam Henrik. So if anybody was to be moved, at least from the center position, I would have to be it's Henrik. Like, I just I just can't see the validity of moving Getzlaff and the return really being worth it for the Ducks to move him. Like, you know, even at four and a half million for one year, he's a rental. What are you getting for Getzlaff at that point that it's worth it? Like, are you getting, you know, a top 20 first round pick? Probably not. Are you getting a, you know, B plus A level prospect? Probably not. Like, at that, you know, if you're not getting that, you, there's really no point for the Ducks. That's all they need. They don't need another late first round pick to get another middle six player in their prospect pool. The Ducks need a game-breaking talent to go along with Trevor Zegers. You're not going to get that from trading a player like Ryan Getzloff. Here's a question. Would you trade Getzloff for a package including Owen Tippett? God. Because that, like, that might be the line for quality of prospect to me where mm-hmm. he's got legitimate upside, but he's not a, a game breaker. Yeah, he's right? not a sure thing um, at this point yet. Yeah, that's such an interesting one because I watched Owen Tippett a lot and the Ducks need pure goal scorers. And, and you know he's had an NHL level shot for like the last five years pretty much since he stepped foot in the OHL. So he's an interesting one. Um, you know, part, part of me is is obviously, you know, a Ducks fan who loves Ryan Getzlaff. You you, you kind of want to say no and be like, man, like, that guy could be a bust. And, it, you know, do we really want to see Getzlaff go out that way where he was traded for a guy who eventually has no value to the Ducks? But at, at this point, like, any young asset that has a chance to be a top six forward – is a valuable asset for Anaheim, especially mm-hmm. a goal scorer. So if, if Florida came to you and said, you know, eat half a gets left salary, we'll give you Owen Tippett one for one. Let's do, let's do it. I'd probably say yes. I'd probably take the gamble and, and see what he, what he does. And and at that point, you know, you'll have to move out another forward probably uh, to make room for Owen Tippett in the lineup. But if you want Getzlaff back the next year, you could just be like, okay, we'll we'll sign him. As a, you know, he'll hit unrestricted free agency. You, that's a discussion maybe you have with Getzlaff and be like, hey, we want this player. If you're okay with going to Florida for 40 games, 
you know, for the shortened season, right. sure, you know, we'll bring you back, and and you can you can finish your career in Anaheim. Uh, but you know, the 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 hit there is that you didn't do it at one club. You know, you played a a couple games here. Yeah, you know, other than Keith Yandel and Anton Strawman, I guess that depends on your opinions about Aaron Eckblad. They don't. Oh, that they've got that Sergey Bobsky contract. But like Florida is in a weird spot because like they're not completely screwed on cap space, but they're also poor and they don't want to spend any money, and they don't have anybody making that kind of sweet middle four million dollar contract that you can flip. Yeah, and and Florida, Florida's a weird one because they they really haven't shown that they wanted to spend money even on their own unrestricted free agents. They let Dadnov go to Ottawa for next to nothing and it doesn't look like Mike Hoffman's going to go back and they really didn't bring in anything to replace that. So it almost looks like Florida's like, all right, you know what? What we had didn't work. They moved on from Trocheck. Like they moved on from a lot of their core players. Yeah, Trocheck still stupid. Yeah, it was a bad trade, but it looks like they're like, okay, we don't like what we have. Obviously we like Barkov and Huberto. Ekblad's our main guy in defense. I'm glad that they figured out that Barkov and Huberto are worth keeping around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those guys are... So- I, they're building something there, at least. Like, the Brodsky contract hasn't worked out. It was never going to work out at the term they got it at. Uh, but Barkov and Huberto are two legitimate pieces. I think Ekblad will get better. Um, it's been a tough go. He's been relied upon to do really everything defensively for Florida, and that's a tough go for him. But if he gets some help there, um, I think he'll do well. And then Anton Ludell, personally, I think he was a, a top 10 talent at the draft. Um, and he's shown that this year. Like, he's just exploded offensively. The big hit on Anton Ludell was, oh, he's a two-way center. The offense mm-hmm. isn't really there. And I think last week he scored four goals. And became the youngest uh, player in the Finnish league of history to score four goals. So, like, he's a good offensive player. And you think, you know, the future of the Panthers is two of the top Finnish centers in the world in Barkov and Lindell and add Huberto into that mix. Uh, They got got something there that they can kind of move on from from some of these guys. Yeah, I, uh, I, to me... Florida seems like a perfect place for uh, Rico or Raquel to end up. Yeah, yeah. Adam Henrique, I think, is a good fit there. Um, yeah. to, to play I think. Uh, he, what was his name? He could do kind of. Uh, was it Anisimov? Was the center for Chicago yeah. uh, with Q? Yeah, I think Rico could do that kind of a thing for them real well. Yeah, I think. I mean, honestly, I think Adam Henry could fit in a lot of places for teams that are looking for a, a you know, behind a superstar center. Like Buffalo, I thought would have been a very good fit for him to play behind Eichel, um, you know, behind Barkov uh, in Florida. I think that works there. Uh, I think anywhere where he's not, uh, he's done well in Anaheim, being essentially a one B. Him and Getzlaff are one A one B. I think he does his best work where he is that designated 2C on a team, on a competitive team. That's interesting to me. So I think that it is at this point fair to say that the Henrik Vrvatnen trade was a success for the Ducks. I think 
Henrique is a 2B. Like, I think he is a low-end second center. Mm -hmm. And if I, I think for me, if you can find a team, like that first Pittsburgh team where they had Jordan Stahl, and you're like, he's an overqualified third line center. Yeah. That to me is what Henrique is. And I think he could excel in a place in a role like that where he's gonna have an advantage in matchup almost any given night. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of value in Adam Henrique. I think the only problem with a team going after him as a three C is his contract. Right? Like Yeah. That's the only downside there. I don't think you can convince too many teams unless they're you know they have a ton of cap space to be like, hey, this guy's making you know five and a half million. Here's your number three center. Um, you know, I, I, I like I said, I think saying he's a two B, I think is spot on. Um, there are some exceptional second line centers out there who do a little bit more offensively than Adam Henrique does, but I think Adam Henrique is a second line center in the definition of of the term. Um, and, and I think for some teams, like we had mentioned Florida and Buffalo, I think there is, there is a fit for him there and they, that the cap space kind of makes sense for what, um, he would bring to that roster. So, you know, ultimately I think there is a trade market for, for Adam Henrique, uh, whether the ducks actually explore it, that's, that remains to be seen. I mean, they don't have a ton of time to really wait, and, and, and kind of look at some of the options because they have so many of these guys pushing their way into the lineup and you can only keep them in San Diego or play fourth line minutes or whatever for so long. Like they need to make their way into the lineup specifically guys like Trevor Zegras, where if he is what we think he is, he needs to be in the top nine, especially if you think he's going to be a center and there's two guys blocking their way there or his way, Getzlaff and Adam Henrique. And comes back down to the same discussion we had. Who is likely to, more likely to be traded out of those two? Probably Adam Henrique. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, it, it is a problem of too many good, not great players on the roster. And, you know, I, that just doesn't really get you anywhere. And I think, you know, I think Anaheim needs to take a really long look at being willing to eat a million five and just seeing what they can get for Henry. Because if that can't if that if you drop that to four three, four flat, that becomes a much more attractive contract. And I think that there are a lot of teams out there, especially with the flat cap, and because his sal his contract is dead flat. He makes five eight a year, every year. Um you know, if you eat that down to four, I think there are a lot of teams who would take that player at that kind of cost certainty uh, on the roster for sure. All right. Last thing I want to chat about before we wrap it up here uh, pretty quick, but I wanted to get a mention in there. Uh, if you haven't checked it out recently, I think it was what, about a week ago, you put out an article uh, projecting the Ducks 2020-2021 lineup where uh, you had your roster predictions, I had mine, uh, and Rebecca and Derek from the Ducks writing team at the Hockey Writers also had um, their roster predictions as well. I want to go over a couple differences between our two lineups. Um, so if you want to get like the full look at these, um, go and check out the article because we explain 
kind of all of our picks, why we picked them, our players to watch, our kind of big questions for the season, our surprises, whatever. Um, the one thing I kind of wanted to look at is, as you have some interesting kind of lineup switches from what we're used to seeing for the Ducks, um, your first line was Jones, Henrik, and Heinen, and then second line was Raquel, Steele, and Silverberg with Getzloff going down t- technically to the third line. Uh, but playing with some similar line mates in, in Milano and Terry. What kind of with the, the thought process of, of Heinen with Henrique and Jones? That that line's super interesting for me. So I think, and this really ties in really well kind of to what we were just talking about, which is I think you have to ask yourself, does Anaheim have one player that is definitively a first-line player? And I think the answer to that question is no. I think at this point in his career, Ryan Getzlov should be pulled back a little bit. And uh, I think, you know, we've seen for the last few years that when the team is still hoping that Ryan Getzloff's the guy who's going to take him to the promised land, it just doesn't work. Um, Steele... One, isn't that guy to begin with. And B, even if he was, he's clearly not ready. So at that point, I think you've got Henrique who kind of splits the difference and who has, you know, despite my issues with the contract, that's not his fault, right? Nobody's going to – you can't be mad at that guy for getting paid. Um, so I think for me the thing with him is he has earned the right to be a de facto first-line center. You know, he's not a liability – and he's not a game breaker. He's just a really good player. You know, you put him out there with a guy like Heinen and, you know, Jones, and what you've got is a, maybe a high-end checking line kind of thing. Um, you know, but I just, the other thing for me was is I wanted to make sure that I split up the kids. I'm not, I know a lot of people, I think you, I think most of you guys actually on that, the other three is, had a Jones Steel Terry line. Yeah, I know Rebecca had Steel Zegris and Heinen. Um, mm. Derek had Jones Steel Terry, and then I had Jones Steel and Heinen. I was gonna go Jones Steel Terry, but I just I can't I can't get behind the all kid line anymore because we did that. We yeah. kind of beat that to a dead horse, and it didn't work last year. Um, and I just feel like Terry above everybody kind of gets the benefit of a doubt and was, and always kind of gets put with either an Adam Henrique or, or Ryan Getzlaff, which is why I ended up having uh, Milano Getzlaff and Terry just because Milano was also kind of in that point where he was building a bit of chemistry with Ryan Getzlaff last year. And the way it works for Getzlaff is we'll kind of fill out the other lines and then whoever kind of worked with you gets put with you. Right. And, we we saw Henrik, Raquel, and Silverberg work good together, and I felt like a player like Danton Heinen kind of fits with with Steele and Jones. But you know, putting these together, the most interesting thing for me was the spare players left over. Right, like who makes the roster as the extra forward? Who kind of creeps in every now and then? Um, we all, you and me, both had the the same starting. Um, 12 essentially uh we are same same starting 13 with kind of Bacchus and and Delore rotating in and out but our 14th extra forward I had Maxim Comtois 
you had Isaac Lindstrom. What what's the thought process between Isaac Lindstrom kind of getting the the jump on some of these guys? What what do you see in him that kind of gives him the edge? So I think for me, the thing about Lundestrom is I just think he's going to be a good player. You know, we kind of talked about this earlier where I said he's kind of, for me, I, I do think of him as being somewhat of a, a Todd Marchant or a Andrew Cogliano where it's just like, yeah, he's just always going to be out there. He's almost always going to make a good decision. We know he's, smart he thinks the game at a high level he maybe isn't going to go out and get us you know even he might not hit 40 points in a season uh, but he's got good speed he's got good skating you know he's got good puck skills he's just someone you can trust and I think the fact that we have seen him play all three forward spots is valuable um, you know if one of Milano, Comtois and uh, my brain just turned off. Milano, Comtois, and... Heinen. Oh, my God. Terry Steele. Brain... Raquel Jones. <laughs> my brain... I don't know why my brain turned off. But, like, um, you know, I think uh, if... Who was it? Yeah, like, I think if, if Sonny Milano was a righty, then I think Comtois makes the team. Because yeah. I think... Comtois, Getzloff, Milano is a very interesting pair, or is a very interesting one. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Comtois has the talent and the disposition to make the roster. Uh, I just don't know that there's a spot for him. Yeah. I don't see Delorier and Bacchus not making the team. And I think at this point, we've seen enough from Aikens and Murray to know that they're not going to play a guy they expect to be a top six guy in the bottom six, you know, and, and I'm kind of going against myself a little with that, with this gets Milano, Terry third line. But I think it's, it's a little different, you know, and in a lot of ways that Henrique is a third line that's kind of masquerading as a first line. Um, you know, I think Comtois is definitely in the mix there. But I couldn't pick Comtois over Delorier or Bacchus. And it came down to him and Lundestrom. And I think Lundestrom has more versatility. And I just think that has more value. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see. The, the thing with Lundestrom is I see where he could fit, right? Because he can play all three positions. He's played left, center, and right. If there is somewhere you need to slot him in, it's so much easier than, say, you know, slotting Maxim Comtois. Now, I, I think if you wanted to slot Maxim Comtois on the right, you probably could. Or if you needed to push Raquel or Jones to the right, because they have in the past, you can to make room for Comtois. But, yeah, it, it was hard, and it's why I had Comtois as my 14th forward, to be like, where is this guy going to fit in? Because how does he get in over Milano, Raquel, Jones, Terry, and Heinen at this point? And you probably don't want to play him at the fourth line, and unless the Ducks deal Carter Rowney, which I, I there, there's been speculation that they they might at some point consider doing that, um, but then you'd be playing either one of you know Comtois or Jones or somebody on the fourth line, which you probably don't want to do. I don't think it serves Maxim Comtois to play with Derek Grant and Nick Delory, and I don't think it serves Max Jones to play with with those guys as well. So. 
you know, at some point, we've talked about it numerous times already on, on the podcast today. Uh, at some point, somebody has to go to make room yeah. for these guys. Um, you know, Maxime Comtois, realistically, he should be going into this season at the same point that Steele Jones and Terry were going into the season last year. A little bit of NHL games under their belt, but ready to play, you know, 40 to 60 games this year if it was an 82-game schedule where he'd be getting that kind of first taste of almost a full NHL season, which I would love for Maxim Comtois to have an easy way into the roster and do that because I think he deserves that opportunity because he showed he can produce at the AHL level. It's just so hard to be like, oh, yeah, he can get in over this guy. Like, you could say he could get in over Sonny Milano, but I don't necessarily see it at this point because Comtois can easily go down to the AHL. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's Jones and Terry that are the two people I think he's realistically fighting for a spot with, and it, and mm-hmm. it probably comes down to training camp and, and how guys do. But yeah, it, it, in all honesty, unless a guy has moved out, it, it it's hard to fit any of these kids in. And, and San Diego is going to be fun to watch again this year when you think you've got potentially Comtois and Lindstrom and Trevor Zegras and Benoit Olivier Grew and Josh Mahura and Brendan Gooley, and maybe Lucas Dostal. Like you've got, you've got a fun bunch of players to watch in San Diego this year. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that we talked about in that article was about a player to watch, and I went with Cam Fowler because I wanted to make a point about how I think, because of what we know about him and what we've seen from him, that he's a really good player to watch when it comes to evaluating changes that the team is trying to institute but I think Danton Heinen has just as good of a case because he strikes me as a dark horse might be the wrong way to say it but kind of a dark horse player to get traded I could see a world in which 20 games into the season either they don't feel that they have a spot for him or they need to make a trade and they want to get something, you know, he's young enough and on a good enough deal that you could, you know, probably get a second or a third or a prospect or another NHLer and coming back in the other direction. Um, I think Danton Heinen is going to be the key in a lot of ways to what this roster looks like at the forward position, because either he is a top six guy who needs to be in that top six or he's somebody they didn't draft who's the same as the six other guys they already have. Yeah. Honestly, for me, it comes down to the, the same argument I've been having for a while with the Ducks is um, Silverberg should have been traded before he signed the extension. And, yeah. and Adam Henry probably should have been traded at the draft this year, if not sooner. Um, because now you're struggling to find roster spots for, for kids who probably should be getting a chance. Like I would argue uh, Trevor Zegers should get a chance. To, to play this year um and, and maybe that you know if he does exceptionally well in the ahl and you know comes up to nhl and plays well that frees up your your kind of ability to trade a player like adam henrique so i can get that sense but now you are blocking players like maxim comtois because you've signed jacob silverberg um to a contract extension and yes i love jacob silverberg as a player i think he has extreme value to a competitive team but not really to the ducks at this point and, you know, you, you take Silverberg out of that the lineup and let's say, like, take him out of my lineup and throw him right on that same line. You've now got Adam Henrique, Ricard Raquel, and Maxime Comtois. Is that significantly worse than Adam Henrique, 
Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silverberg? Not really when you factor in you're getting assets for Silverberg and allowing Comtois to get a top six role and potentially develop into the forward we all hope he is, which is essentially Jakob Silverberg in terms of production, a 2020 type player, 20 goals, 20 assists, uh, plays you know physical, good defense. Like if he becomes what we hope he is, you have Jakob Silverberg in, in in terms of value, and then you should have got assets for Silverberg when his value was the highest. That that's what it always comes back to me is when we look at these log jams, there was moves that probably should have been made. Yeah, I think you know. In the abstract, I don't have a huge problem with the Henrik uh, extension. I don't have a huge problem with the Silverberg extension. But I think for me, one, you've got a couple of young centers that need to have the opportunity to earn an NHL plot. And the same thing can be said on the wings. And I think, you know, this for me, kind of, I kind of feel a little differently that like, you know, at my most, you know, burn it all downest, I would say you should move all three, but I don't think you can have three of Raquel, Silverberg, and Henrik. If you want to keep Henrik and Silverberg because you're like, those are our stop gaps. We know those guys, we know what they are. We know that they're two way players. They're productive. They're leaders. They get what we're trying to do. We can play them with just about anybody and it doesn't affect the way they play. That That's fine. I'm open to that conversation, but if that's the case, you got to move Raquel because you can't have all three of those guys taking our spots when you have too many guys who need the chance to prove what they are. And we know this about Bob Murray. There's not 12 roster. There's not 12 forward spots. There's nine. Yep. That line is a real thing for him. Uh, you know, I joked about it the other day on Twitter, calling it the you know the Brian Burke Memorial fourth line. Like that, those are the guys that he wants on the team. He has, he believes in that that role and that value, and he does not want twenty year old kids going out there playing eight minutes a night and getting their heads kicked in by you know grown men. He wants them to be in positions where they can attack and be offensive and creative. And when you take that into effect, you you can't wipe out a whole line of roster spots between those three guys and especially knowing Getzloff's not going anywhere, you know? So now you've got four spots taken up in guys that aren't good enough to make you a contender, but they certainly aren't bad enough to, you just have to get rid of them. And you've created a pickle for yourself that you just, you don't need to have. Yeah. That's why I think this season is, is so interesting for the Ducks because I I think you know the performances put up by guys like Milano and Heinen and Jones and Terry and even Ricard Raquel are are, are going to determine their fate in in some way because the the Ducks have a lot of these guys locked down to to longer term contracts more than one year. Uh, and they're going to have to make some decisions to allow other players to get into the lineup, especially like like we've already mentioned Trevor Zegers a million times tonight, but you cannot keep that guy out of the lineup for two or three years. Like he's if if he is as good as we think he is and as he's shown, uh, he, at the very most he'll spend one season in the AHL and then be an NHL player from there on. There are, there's, there's several people who think he could be a Calder Trophy candidate. For, for this upcoming season. So 
that shows you the, the level of expectation that's already on a player like Trevor Zegras, where now you've got to make room for this kid and you've got to make room for Maxime Comtois. And, and when Jacob Perot comes and, you know, Benoit Olivier grew and Braden Tracy, when he makes his way here, like there's a whole wave of guys you've kind of got to make room for at some point if they're going to, you know, get a, a good shot at some NHL minutes. So, you know, I, I think early on when we look, if Milano struggles, maybe that's an option and they move him. If if Heinen doesn't kind of get off to the start you're hoping, then maybe it's him. You know, I, I wouldn't rule out, you know, Terry and Jones potentially being guys you you, you look to move if, if things aren't going well, if they haven't progressed. Now, you know, that would, wouldn't be at the top of my list of guys to move. Um, I would probably move Terry over Jones because I, I do like having a player like Max Jones in the lineup. And, and every time I say that, people th- seem to think I hate um, Troy Terry. I, I've seen the stats. I've seen the underlying numbers. I've seen his impact on on the defensive side of the game and, and being a quality defensive forward. Uh, I get it. I get he's got the value. But at some point, somebody's got to make way. And no matter who makes way, somebody's going to be upset. And it, it's going to be a player that somebody loved or somebody thought that we should keep around or whatever, but it's got to happen. And, it, and and I think it's going to happen this year. And, and it might be more than one guy. Yeah. I, uh, I think the camp is going to be a very interesting time to get a better idea of, uh, what some of these guys are expecting of themselves and what the team is expecting of them because, you know, two or three months into the season, given that we don't think it's going to be full, uh, they're going to have a lot of decisions to make, you know, especially with the expansion draft coming up. Like there are going to be a handful of players of note that they're going to have to make some decisions about. And I think the first couple games, especially for these younger guys, you know, and even, Milano and Heinen, like they only played like six, seven games with the team. Like they, they definitely are still new players for all intents and purposes. And they are going to all need to prove that they are absolutely someone to keep around. Yeah. And, and expansion draft presents a, a whole new problem as well. When, you know, Jones, uh, Steele, Terry, Lindstrom would all be exposed. You have to protect them. Um, yep, and and obviously Henrique is part of that. Silverbrick's part of that. Raquel get uh, Getzlaff won't be, um, but you know there are a lot of players that come under that umbrella. As you know, if we don't protect them, they're going to be exposed, and that comes into trade decisions as well. And you know, do we move Henrique so we can protect Jones or protect Steele or protect Terry or or whatever it may be? It's such an interesting season in that sense where there's so many factors that are going to decide whether the Ducks make a move and who they move. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it really is a big year for the Ducks. I know we say that every year, but just with all, you know, all factors considered, it, it, it's a big year for a lot of these guys. Yeah, I think this is going to be a big year, like you said, for a lot of these guys, and I think it's going to be a big year in the exact opposite direction that I think the front office is hoping for. Um, You know, I think, I think more than a few of these guys aren't going to be on this team this time next year. And there's no way to know who they're going to be until obviously until you get there. Like, I just don't mean to sound like an idiot, but like, I just think there's going to be some guys that are going to get moved 
And, you know, either these guys got to prove that they should get moved to good teams or they got to prove that they want to stay because, you know, it's not hard to be moved for a prospect or a pick, um, especially when it's so easy to rationalize with the uh, draft coming up. So the best case scenario is everybody plays well and you trade you trade these guys at the top of their value. Uh, last thing you want to do is is try and move a player like Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg when they're not playing well, and you get less for them. And and same goes for anybody really, Terry or Jones or or you know Heinen or Milano. If you have to trade them, you kind of hope that they're playing well and that everybody's playing well, and that it is a tough decision, and that the assets you get back are worth what you're giving up. Because I think every one of these players could be a, a valuable player for for Anaheim. There's really no clear candidate at this point who would be like, yeah, I got it. We got to trade that guy. He's not good or whatever. Like Silverberg would maybe be at the top of my list because of his age, but that's it. Like I still think he's a valuable player. Um, you know, I haven't seen a, enough of Heinen or Milano yet to, to kind of go either way on them. I want to see more of them. I want to see more of Jones. I want to see more of Terry. I I need to see more of these guys before I can be like, yeah, you know, that guy is the guy I want to move. The, you know, the Ducks just don't really have that guy. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I feel bad for the kid because he seems like a good kid. But, I mean, other than Jacob Larson, there's really no one where I'm like, yeah, just get him to walk out of here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but I think, uh, you know, I think as we get closer to the year that there will be – a lot to talk about as far as the roster and who's up and who's down. And, uh, you know, I think there's still a little bit to play out in the off season, you know? So yeah. we got plenty of time before training camp. And, and like you said, training camp will be very interesting. Um, and, and, in a very different type of training camp than what we're used to, to kind of see how things go. The very quick turnaround. Uh, if the season is actually going to start on January 1st, that means we're, you know, just over a month away um, they'll have about you know three or four weeks of training camp to go through to get an idea of of who's the best fit for the roster and and we'll see from there but uh, I think that does it for for today's show long one a very long one but to be <laughs> fair we didn't do a show for a month so it is it is overdue and and we wanted to kind of get everything in and, and cover everything so Hopefully we get some news in the next couple of days. We've been kind of blessed a little bit with with you know the the reverse retro jerseys, um, with you know the Dostal news with the Perot and Drysdale signings. Will Juniors is coming up, so that will be uh, that will be some nice news if Zegris is playing and Drysdale is playing. We'll have some uh, some coverage to look at and some hockey to watch. Hopefully, as long as COVID doesn't impact that tournament as well. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys for joining. We'll you know keep keep posted. We'll you know stay tuned uh, to our social media as well, just to kind of see what our updates are. I can't really give you any clear updates on when the next show would be. Ideally, we'd love to do another one next week, but it all kind of depends on uh, the news that comes out. And uh, we will be releasing a few more Patreon bonus episodes. Uh, upcoming as well we've kind of gotten back on that train as well and, and we've released two pucks and brews um this month uh, with plans for for a couple more shows uh for you know the end of november here in early october so make sure to check those out too and and steven thanks again for for coming on it's always good having you on the show and 
and uh, talking ducks hockey. And every time you're on, it seems seems we we push the two hour mark. So it's always some good conversations. <laughs> That's my Italian man. Just, you're not getting out of the conversation early. <laughs> no, it's always good stuff, especially when we got a lot of ducks news talking about. So we'll see you guys uh, hopefully in a week, and uh, take care.